Welcome to the Tom Castro Shooting Academy podcast. You have now entered the next level. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Tom Castro Shooting Academy Next Level podcast. So we are going to have a brand new episode. Uh, It's been uh, probably a little bit over a month since we did the last one, and I have some special guests today. And actually, I, for some reason, the computer wanted to work today. So I have all of us on at the same time, Mr. Craig McElhaney and Mr. Todd Holmes. And we got a lot to talk about. It's been a little while. Um, been a lot to lot going on since then, since the last one. So um, let's get into it. All right, Craig. So let's talk about Craig first. Cause I, you know, oh, we got to get, we got to get Craig out of the oh, way. Yeah. He had a, you know, Craig always has to get himself yeah. talked about in there. So let's talk about him first. And, and obviously I'm just kidding, but Craig, we haven't had an opportunity to talk just came back. Well, I guess it's been what, how long has it been since you've been, since you've been back two, well, three weeks now. Yeah. I think about the end of June. Um, yeah, so almost month, three actually. weeks. Yeah. Been a month. Yeah. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. So yeah. the last time we talked to Craig, he was getting ready for the check match, right? What was that called? The, 2022 euro extreme euro extreme okay Republic, yeah and how'd you do i did good man it was my um it was a unique match it was 30 stages um i think 700 plus shooters and um overall i would say i'm happy with my performance overall um i took 14th overall in pcc i'm uh first place uh senior um I had some ups and downs, like what you expect in 30 stages. You know you're going to have ups and downs. Um, I fell in eight, eight stages, and that costs a lot of time. But um, that, I think that kept me out of like 10 places. But Man. I'm happy with how I did overall. Three, hey, I got a hey, hey, I, I got a, a, I got a question. Man. Hold on a second. Mental, you got to really focus. Craig, um, Craig, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can you hear me? Did, yeah, no, hold on a second. Yeah. I just want to ask in, mm-hmm. in check, did they have any Wi-Fi or internet <laughs> on the prize table or did you not win, get high enough to get good internet? No, no not good. Oh, okay. So yeah. Yeah. Your internet is shit right now. I'm just in my like, garage. My stuff. I'm not sure what you said, so I don't know. So walk around outside with your phone or something and like kind of hold it up and like see if you can get like get the little antennas on it or something. Or you get in your squad car and just go find a good spot and do it out there. Let me try something. So while we have technical difficulties with, uh, you know, the Internet in 2022, um let's get into it with todd man so how you been brother for a month i mean we talk all the time so i kind of know where you're at but you know kind of where you at with it like uh you know we talked a lot the last time about getting prepared for nationals uh you know where, where are you at with your training right now with that um physical training doing better doing some cardio not as much as i wanted to but um the diet side of it is where i'm getting good at cut a lot of sugar out of my diet a lot of the red meats a lot of the fried foods um tons cut tons of sugar i don't think the last time i had a soda i can't tell you when it was my banana broke in half on the way to the range the other day and i didn't have another <laughs> one so i stopped at the gas station and i was like what am i gonna oh i like beef jerky 
I don't like beef jerky anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. the beef jerky was always my go-to. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. There it is again. Yeah, <laughs> baby. You're already starting to podcast off with the potty mouth. Woo! Over no, some beef jerky. Man, we even got into the good stuff yet. <laughs> I know. So, I don't know. I think I've lost about 20 pounds in the last six weeks. So that's awesome, dude. That dude, I didn't even know that. We've talked all the time. I didn't even think to ask about how your weight loss was going. Yep. That's awesome. Make you, you feel better? Oh, yeah. Definitely feel better. And I'm not as fatigued when I'm leaving the range from the training sessions and stuff like that. Now, when I did, because yeah. we had our first night match at Belton Gun Club, then a regular local match at Spartanburg, and then training on Sunday. And outside of me falling and my knee being jacked up, my knee, my legs and everything are good. So I wasn't physically fatigued. Nice. That's awesome, dude. Yep. So I know, um, I know one thing we're going to talk about, and since since we, uh, you know, Craig's uh, internet is shit, and you see him opening his garage door trying to get Wi-Fi from the outdoors. I guess I, I don't know what he's thinking, but um, are you? Uh, you had your first DQ, brother. Since then, yeah, learned. Oh, so, yeah. Let's DQ. let's talk about the DQ. So it's funny because. We, I was shooting a, God, I can't remember. I don't know if I remember. I can't remember if I was shooting that day or if I was at the range. I think I was setting up a match or something. I don't, I remember I was on the range or I was shooting or something and you were met, you messaged me that day. Actually, was that on a Sunday so, match? No, it was a Saturday match. And I called you like within you five did. minutes again, DQ because I was pissed. That's right. So you got DQ'd and I was like, what happened, you know, with the DQ or whatever. So as we're talking, I'm like, send me the video, right? Like at the end, now the, the match was over. You were done. You were on your way to eat and, and we were just all talking about it or whatever. I said, send me the video. And it was only a third person video and I watched it and I was like, it's not a DQ. And you're like, how the hell can you tell that from this view? And I was like, I don't need to see it. I can hear it. So basically how the, the, the DQ happened was the RO assumed because he heard the gun go off that it was a DQ, but what he wasn't listening to was how the gun went off. So basically what happened with Todd was he shot, he was shooting at the targets. He shot two, four, I think it was two, four, six uh, shots. And then as he was getting ready to exit, right, he shot another one. So, and I want to explain how this sounded. It went bang, 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 bang that fast, like no way you, he moved away from the target. That's how fast it was. Right. And I actually probably did it slower than actually how I heard it on the video. So it basically sounded like you shot the last two shots into the last target and had to do a third makeup shot is what it sounded like. Yeah. Well, watching the video, I could see where you were standing and I could see the location of the RO. And your question from the beginning was, or what you thought he called you on, was that he called it on a reload, like as if you were reloading. Mm -hmm. You didn't reload <laughs> for another five steps. Like the reload hadn't happened for five steps, but he DQ'd you from when you were still standing in front of the targets. Yeah. I was definitely going straight into a reload from there, but yep. it was... And that third person view, like you saw, definitely wasn't there. But the hat view um, is what really pointed out when I went home and downloaded that because I've got one of the old cameras that you can't see it at the range. Right. Did that. And I was like, yeah, that was as I'm pulling the gun back, finger still on the trigger, squeezed it to go into. 
to go start the reload, not there yet, and fired off a shot right over the shoulder of the target. Yeah. Because you can see where it impacted on the berm behind him, like son of a. So the DQ that you received was actually that you shot over the berm. Yes. Correct? All right. So, and again, I don't, this, this is not a, I don't want to bang on the RO. This is, this is not what this conversation is about, but there's a few things about the DQ that I feel like everyone actually let, let me rephrase that. Cause let's just not take it to the DQ. Let's take it to all of shooting and all the calls that get made against you as a shooter. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say argue, but you should know you should know your case <laughs> so you can have a conversation with the RO that you are having a conversation with. In other words, if I would have had that RO and he would have called a DQ, I would have immediately had an argument for the DQ call because of his positioning. That's the first thing. The second thing is I have pretty good eyes and I really watch people shoot a lot. Um, I RO a lot. I run a match. I shoot a lot. It's very difficult to see a bullet go over the berm. If you're standing right on top of the shooter, that that's the first thing. Like if you're watching the gun, how are you seeing the bullet? That's the first thing, right? If you're watching the target, you have a chance to see the, the bullet fly, right? Cause you can see bullets flying depending on how good your eyes are. Yeah. But when you're standing five steps away from a target, that target that you shot at, was about five feet away. It was very close, correct? Mm -hmm. It was, I don't know, five feet, but it was very It close. was pretty damn close. Like in the video, I was like, that's that's pretty close. Like there wasn't a whole lot of distance there to where I'm like, all right, cool. You can really see that trajectory of the bullet going 25 yards and then take off out of the range. It was very close. So, and the RO that made this call was nowhere near <laughs> position to see the shot go bang and where it could go. There's no way it was an assumption call. Okay. And I understand, you know, making that call, but the problem is, is if you're an RO, you have to be 100% sure that you saw what you saw. That's the first thing. Yes. And video is not admissible. And Todd didn't even pull the video out until, you know, there wasn't an argument. Yeah. And this is kind of why I brought this up. There should have been an argument, or uh, let me rephrase that because a discussion. discussion. It should have been an immediate discussion. Like, what did you see? Because this yeah. is what happened. This is what I did, and you saw that. So uh, they don't line up. Like, if the stories don't line, like if the the stories don't line up, they don't line up. It's not that he's wrong and I'm right. It should always be as an RO and as a shooter that you get the correct call. Period. It should never be. I'm right and you're wrong. Because if it's if you go in with that attitude, you get someone's getting screwed, right? Or someone's going to be pissed at the end that they didn't they didn't get a fair shake. And that could also go on the RO side. Like if the RO standing there said, "Listen, I watched the guy DQ, and this is what he did. This is what he did. This is when he took the step. This is when he dropped the mag. This is when he pulled the trigger." Those are all things where it's like, all right, great. You saw everything to the T and you can explain it. Yep. But, but there are people out there that are so stubborn that they want to be correct, that they don't actually know what the hell their story was. <laughs> right. And I, and I don't think that's where this ROA did. It. Not I, at all. I, I failed also on my side too, because like you said, 
I didn't ask everything. He goes, you know what you did? I'm like, there's an extra shot. I don't know where it went. And that yeah. was, yep. and he goes, well, it went over the berm. I'm like, okay. But I should have been asking more questions like where was the gun when it did it? Did you, were you able to see it? Where was it during, if I was manipulating a gun during the reload, of course that's one, but I didn't think, well, I didn't know honestly at that point until I went back and watched the hat cam, even watching the third person, your trained eye and sounds and everything. What third person, it didn't keep me on until I had the hat cam. That's the first time I wore the hat cam in like three months. Yeah. Good timing. Good timing, actually. (laughs) So, I I mean, this is a good point. This is one of the things, the reason I led into this story is because to me, this is important. First, first things first is you need to be more diligent of not so much what you're doing, but trying not to, and I don't mean you in general. I mean, everyone, this is for everyone. When things like this happen and you have, uh, controversial calls. I'll just call it controversial because that's what it is. You didn't DQ. He thought you DQ'd or you didn't think you did. And he thought you did or however you want to call it. You have to be as a shooter. You have to be, the emotion has to go away. You're fired up. Your adrenaline's running. You just had another adult man tell you that you DQ'd when you're like the hell I did. I know I didn't. I was on it. Right. So, and again, you're shooting a newer gun, something you just switched over to. So it's a new platform for you. It's a little bit different than you're used to. So now you have that lack of confidence in, I know I didn't DQ, but now you're like, ah, maybe I did because I am kind of getting used to this. So I don't know how everything feels when things happen, all this other stuff. Right. So again, it's, it's all that added up to a DQ that you didn't earn that you could have easily sat down and said, Hey, listen, this isn't right but you never argued or you never had that conversation. How about that? I I don't want it to sound like I I want you to argue any of you (laughs) because you know, that's not going to help anybody anyway, but it's a healthy discussion. It's a good, it's a discussion that has to be had. Is that, does that make sense? You, you have to have that conversation with the RO, even for yourself, even if you are not going to win that conversation and win that argument. Okay, you have to have that conversation. There's all kinds of things that go on in this sport that you have to have that conversation. So for myself, I shot at area five this, I guess it was two weeks now, and I lost third place, not because of this call. I had plenty of opportunity. I'm sorry, I lost second place because I ended up on the last stage. It came down to the last stage. I ended up with a mic on a target that I know. I shot a double on and no, it wasn't a perfect double. I called the shot. I went down, looked at the hit. It was not a, it was not a tear. It hit a paster and looked like a tear. Call, uh, talk to the rain, talk to the, to the uh, RO. He looked at it. I didn't go off on him. I didn't call him a dick. He was a super, I think his name was Chris. Super great guy. He said, yeah, no problem. Let me look. He looked at it. He goes, I don't see it. I said, okay, cool. Could you call the range master? Range master comes out, uh, I, man, I am really bad with names. If I don't, I, I haven't shot with him a lot. I think his name was Gary. Very nice guy comes out, looks at it, goes, let me look at it. Puts the, uh, overlay on it. One of the complaints I had about the way that was handled was, and it's really my only complaint. I asked them not to paste the target next to the one that had the mic on it. And I turned around and I was talking to the other RO or wasn't paying attention and they had pasted the target next to it. 
So here's a little quick tip for you guys. If you get a mic, do not paste the target that's closest to it. Leave it open. Don't touch it. Don't paste it. There's nothing. It doesn't cost any extra time to leave that target open. The reason why is so that you can compare the hole that you have that could be a double or the hole that is missing or, or the, the, the hole that you have on another target because all the holes that you shoot from your bullets look almost the same on every hole, on every paper, right? So if I have something to compare it to, I can look at the other one and say, okay, look, you see how they're different? <laughs> they're not the same holes. I did not win that conversation. I didn't yell at the guy. I didn't cuss at the guy. But I still disagree to this day that he is incorrect. He didn't put a second overlay on, but I didn't ask. And that's my fault. I should have been a little bit more like, hey, can you pull that target? Right. I should have, I should have gone into the conversation a little bit more, but I trusted him. You know, he's a great RO. He, he's done it for a long time. He wasn't trying to screw me. Right. It's just, it was a tough call because of where the shot was. I mean, it was a 25 yard or a 20 yard uh, partial target. Right. But I know I hit the damn thing. That's, that's the frustrating part. If I didn't call a good shot, I wouldn't even have had a question. It wouldn't even have been called, but this also leads me into this quick, this conversation. So again, I, like I said, the guy, Chris was awesome. Like we joked around and laughed even after I had the mic, I, I joked around with those guys. Cause they're, you know, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're, they're being awesome. They're they're You know, it's my fault that I didn't spread them out, I guess. <laughs> you know what I mean? So as we're having this conversation, I walked up to him at the end. Cause as the range master came over he goes, yeah. Um, you know, he's questioning whether it's a double, he called a double. And I felt dirty when he said that. Right. Like I felt dirty, like, oh, I'm not supposed to be calling for this double because it's for a far away or you, you know what I mean? Like we have this thing now that if you call for a double or and I, I don't know other, any other word to call it because that's what it would have been. It would have been two two shots in one hole. If you call for a shot now, you're instantly looked at as a cheater. You're instantly looked at as trying to find a uh, something that's not there. No matter how good you are, no matter how how uh, how much you've practiced, no matter what level you are, if you call for a double now, it feels like there's this I don't know this this thing that makes you feel dirty, right? Like they're trying to call you a cheater because you hear so many people online talking shit about everybody who calls doubles that actually didn't earn one, right? Um, I don't know. I've shot a lot of doubles. I really have. Like, I mean, legitimate, like I've seen them go in the paper. The RO's watching and go, man, if I didn't see the paper, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been a double. That's what you're supposed to do, right? The more you practice, the better you get. You're, you're supposed to be able to do that. Now, I'm not saying that's a normal thing, <laughs> right? It doesn't happen all the time, but there, it does happen quite a bit in our sport. So to sit there and, and feel like, oh, I shouldn't have asked for that. I, I was just, I thought I'd bring that up. I thought that was an interesting thing at the match that I was just like, wow, why do I feel shitty that I'm calling for this hit? Right? Like, <laughs> and if it's somebody that calls to me, this is just my perception. If somebody calls for a double every once in a while and stuff like that, okay, it's that's within our right. But yeah. it's when the, you get the reputation mm. of at locals, at everything else, when you right. see this person, that they're going to try to um, range logger themselves out of a mic. <laughs> that's where yeah. 
I think that's where the perception comes in. And there's that gray line in there because the rumors and the conversations start to happen about X, Y, Z did this at area five. They did this at area six and all this stuff, but it's, it's part of the sport. I mean, at the end of the day, man, you have to live with yourself, right? Uh, I'm not cheating. I don't need to cheat. I, I have been called a cheater since the day I started in this sport because I tried hard and I worked hard and I got better really fast. And people called me cheaters constantly. I I mean, I've had assholes telling people that I would adjust the timer while I was the RO, then hand someone the timer. Then when it was, I knew they were, I was getting ready to finish. I'd run away from the timer. I mean, who comes up with this shit? Like these people are idiots, right? This is the shit you get in this sport. You get people that make stuff up about other people and, and now you have to deal with it, right? So this is the stuff that like, I guess the reason I brought this up in general was just to tell people, don't be afraid. If you made that call, if you made, you called that good hit, ask for it. The worst thing that happens is that the RO is, well, he's supposed to anyway, should get the overlay out and look at it. If he knows how to to be an RO, he's going to put the overlay on it and go, Hmm, this one's a little bigger than it's supposed to be. Then look at the angle that it was shot at. That's important. Look to see if he shot a wall. You know, do what you're supposed to do as an RO so that the shooter has zero options. See, you see what I'm saying? It's uh-huh. the ROs are there to make the correct call. Now, that being said, don't be a dick as a shooter and call for doubles when you didn't come close, right? I mean, Listen, I've seen people shoot doubles on targets that you're like, there's no way he can do that. It happens. It sometimes it's luck. Sometimes the guy just lined up two really excellent shots. You know, I mean, this, this sport is, there's no perfect, right? So, I mean, you can shoot a double. I I don't know how many times I shot doubles with PCC. I mean, Jesus, man, it was, I was getting to the point where I was like, I need to open this up a little bit because I would get calls that I'm like, no, I'm telling you. And they were like, oh, if I wouldn't have seen that, I wouldn't have called it. I watched it hit it. I mean, it's like you can, it can happen. Open guns. I've shot a lot of doubles with opens. I remember showing a video to one of the guys that was like, no way. That's definitely a mic. I showed him the video and thank God that video was tight enough to the target. You could see it. And he goes, I'll be damn dude. That was a damn double. I said, I, I told you, dude, I was like, I wasn't even that far from the target. It was a close target. So it does happen, but you know, I just, I thought I'd bring it up because I feel like people, your, your DQ is a good example. Don't be afraid to question the call, right? Yeah. Do it respectfully. Obviously don't be a dick. That That's a big thing. That's a big problem in our sport. We have people that don't do it the right way. So it ru- it makes other people, Oh, I don't want to be argumentative or listen, uh, uh, area five, a good example. And, and this is not a bash on area five match because the match was awesome. The ROs were great. Just a few little examples of things where our shooters didn't want to argue uh, again, argue. I'll just say argue. They didn't want to have that conversation. So they were real big on a couple of stages where if you leaned on the wall, if you touched the wall, if you supported yourself with the wall, you got procedurals. So the problem is that definition should be you are able to touch the wall, but if you gain support for a wall that's outside of the shooting area, you got procedurals. So one of the guys that are are good shooters, they were a grandmaster and they were trying to win the match, grabbed the wall on one of the stages and used it for support. So he got a procedural for each shot. I think it was two procedurals. Definitely cost them the match because of that call. 
but it was the correct call. He called the RO. He called the range master over afterwards. The range master came over and said, yep, we, this is a call that we were worried about. So we made sure we moved the walls out of, of the shooting area. And yes, if you grabbed it and held on to it and leaned on it, it's hundred percent procedural. And it was the, the right call. There wasn't an argument. There should have never been an argument, which for him, he wasn't arguing. He just wanted to know what the right call was. So he, again, having that conversation, he didn't cuss. He didn't yell. It was just nice, clean, easy conversation. Got his answer. That was it. One of the guys on my squad that shot was left-handed. He ran to the right-hand side and didn't touch the wall at all, right? So, so he's, he's left-handed going on the hard lean and doesn't touch the wall. No call. He goes to the left-hand side where his gun is way outside of the wall, okay? Way outside the wall. He's left-handed. That means if he leans left, it's going to be an easier lean. He touched the wall, didn't brace it didn't i mean he literally just touched it on his first bullet and fell out of bounds on his second bullet they gave him a procedural because he touched the wall that is an incorrect call he did not support himself on that wall at all here's the problem he didn't want to argue it he did not want to say hey listen you know that's an improper call or listen can can i get a clarification because all i did was touch it and you know have the conversation with the with the ro or the range master he kept the procedurals. Yep. I was like, I, I, I mean, I had a good 10 minute conversation with him afterwards. We took lunch, I think right after that stage. And I said, look, if it was me, I would be calling the range master over right now before anyone else shoots that stage. He was one of our last shooters too. So I don't even think anybody shot after him. So I was like, I would have had that conversation. He didn't want to have it. He just, he was like, no, I'm good, man. I, I don't want to have that conversation. I said, okay, cool. I'm just, but here's what the rule is. You know, if you know the rule, it's not really an argument. <laughs> you know, this is what I did. This is what he saw somewhere in the middle there that 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 gets worked out. Right. Whether it's the you know, they give him the call or don't give him the call. So There's, I've been to matches. I think George is one of them. If you pay attention, they will put a fault line touching the walls to eliminate the need for those calls. Even if the wall is way out of bounds, there's a fault line touching that wall. They so. did. They had some. Uh, so there was another that same stage. They had a wall that was really uh, high. And mm -hmm. if you were tall, you could shoot over the top of it. But it was still tough, right? Like the fault line. But they moved everything away from the fault line. So you couldn't touch it. I'm not sure why they did that. Uh, I, I felt like. It gave a lot of opportunities for traps, right? It gave a lot of opportunities to trap the shooters into penalties. Now, if you're not paying attention to that and you're not thinking of that, like when you're leaning over the top of that wall, you're getting a penalty, like, because you're touching the wall now. And if you're over the top of the wall, there, like, yeah. there's really no way not to gain support. You have to because you're too, it's too, too low unless you're holding the gun in the air and you're not actually holding your form, your normal shooting form, then you would definitely get procedurals for that. So they brought a pallet out for that stage, um, which was mainly for short people, right? It ended up to where everybody used the pallet towards the second half of the match, because I think they were giving penalties out for using that wall. And I took it away for, I walked that stage about five or six times with and without. So I took it off, put it on, took it off, put it on. And then after catching word or hearing about the procedurals for touching that wall, going around the hard leans, I was like, well, shit, they can give me a procedure for going over the top. 
of the wall as well. I never even thought of that at first. Mm -hmm. So I ended up leaving it in so I wouldn't touch it either way. But it's just kind of one of those things where it's like, that's a setup for, that's a setup to have to make controversial calls as a, as a range officer. And, and it wasn't, I don't think they, obviously they didn't do it on purpose, right? Like they didn't do it on purpose. It just, it's just, well, I mean, obviously they did cause they moved it away, but I don't think it, they thought of it as being an issue. Right. Yeah. Um, it definitely wasn't in the stage briefing. No one mentioned it in the stage briefing. Like, Hey guys, the walls are all outside of the shooting area. That was never mentioned. So no one really knew until you got the procedurals that what you did. So it was interesting, man. It was, uh, it was an interesting stage. I, I think, um, I, I think that stage, you know, getting those kind of procedurals like that cost you a match without you even really realizing, uh, you know, I think they need to look at that rule a little bit. I think there's a little bit too much gray area, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, in that state, like to give that penalty. Like I said, the guy that we shot with, he brushed it. He didn't even, I mean, he was on there for, I'd be surprised if he even pulled the trigger when he was touching that wall. I mean, he was just, he brushed it. He didn't even, there's no way he gained support. He was falling out of bounds. So, you know, he's going away from the wall, not towards the wall. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, I, you know, and then, but then the other guy who grabbed the hold of it with his hand. Okay. Yeah. That's a hundred percent. Right. Like, I'm like, let's see. There's a hundred percent and a brush and you got the same penalty. I don't, I don't understand that. Right. But again, it's, you know, not my call. I, you know, I would have argued for that conversation and we would have had that conversation if they would have pulled that on me, but it's just, I, I just thought I'd bring that up. Cause I feel like there's a lot of people that aren't willing to make that argument or st- I don't, I'll just say, stand up for yourself. Right. It's not an argument. Just yeah. know the rule that you need to know, even if you have to go look it up. Right. Even if you have to look it up, you still need to be, you need to argue that, con- that at least have that talk. Right. Cause it could cost you. So now that you got DQ'd, that cost you an entire match because that was your first stage and you got DQ'd and it wasn't a DQ. You ended up losing an entire day of training. Yep. 11 shots in. So, um, so what did you learn from that the most? Um, have the respective conversation and a understand a better understanding of exactly what you're doing when you're shooting. So you then can have that conversation because in my head, it was a little bit gray and I had to rely on somebody that's supposed to be watching it, but then it maybe have the best vantage point when it's going on. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a conversation about it. Now, if you agree, don't disagree. That's where the stuff can come out of it, but you've got to have that conversation. And if something like that happens again, definitely I'm having the conversation. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing from it, brother, is that you take from that conversation or that you have that conversation. That's it. That's all you needed to do is have the conversation, whether it goes your way or not, at least you had the conversation. And the understanding, I mean, I'm a CRO, but I'm not going to pretend like I'm one of these guys that has a <laughs> photographic memory that can tell you what 8.2.1.3 is. I don't right, even know right. if there is one, but right. um, exactly what it is. But that's also why we all have our nice smartphones with the app on it to go look at it. Because we, when you take your RO, your CRO exam, they teach you how to look at that stuff. So we should have been able, if there's any questions, you should be able to, especially if you're an RO, CRO, to quickly reference that app and figure out where it was. <clears throat> like there's a guy at the Spartanburg match, they have um, plates there 
the plates that just knock off it was an eight inch plate i think it was that goes on top of a rebar stand it spun sideways that's so a hit called, huh that's a hit uh actually it's nothing it's a reshoot well oh because it has to fall yeah, right so that's a range malfunction sideways, okay like yeah, yeah. so like, like steel this. knockdown matches if it turns yeah. sideways they consider that a hit yes yeah. well, but that's not a steel knockdown match that's uh that's an actual uspsa yeah. rule yeah so like this you're good off you're good like yeah. this if you know the rule right you can test it it's a reshoot you yeah. got a mic yeah because i mean we all knew it after he shot the stage but, right and it wasn't even in our squad we just heard about it and they we looked it up while we were shooting so we knew on that stage what the rule was but yeah, I mean, that, dude, but so, so that, I mean, that's a good example of knowing the rules, but you don't need to know all the rules. No, I think a lot of people, need you need to know the rules that are going to affect you. Right. So like a good example is I would have, I would have never thought about the steel being turned sideways during that match. Right. Like before the match, but if it happens to me during a stage, I'm going to look it up so yeah. that I can go back and go, Hey, here, and here's the rule. Uh, reshoot range malfunction whatever even if you don't know yeah. the rule but i think a lot of people just accept because someone says they're an ro or they say they're a cro that they know the rules this is not true i know range masters like that work nationals that don't know all the rules it's how it works they're, they're not going to know all the rules unless you are ex unless you experience that rule firsthand i think you're not going to have it all, right? Uh, even if you've read the rule book a million times, okay? <laughs> We're human beings. We have a lot of shit going on in life outside of the shooting. So if someone came to ask me a rule that I already know, I'd be like, hmm, I better look first just to make sure I, I'm interpreting this correct. I've read rules coming out of this out of the rule book, and I'm like, huh, there's a lot of gray area in that, depending on yeah. what lawyer of uspsa is reading this to me right so again it's one of those things where it's um you know I, I, a good example is penetration on a target right i have i shot a drop turner once that i split the target right but it rode down halfway through the target with nothing just just a blue skid mark or a skid mark from the from the bullet and and then it poked a hole through the side and then exited back out. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was clearly, you could clearly see daylight on the other side. I had two mics on that target. I had two, no penalty mics because it was a disappearing target. And uh, I said, okay. And then they read the rule. I just accepted it because I, I wasn't, I didn't know shit. I was still new. And I, and then I, they read the rule and I was like, yeah, but it says you have to penetrate the target. I'm, pretty sure that i can see light through here so mm -hmm. i got two mics on it no no big deals two no penalty mics and it was a crazy array i mean i went for a crazy like i shouldn't even have hit the target that's how lucky that's how fast this shit was so then i sent uh troy actually i posted it and talked about you know the mics or whatever it was and he had actually responded said no that's that's a hit that you know that's those yeah. are hits so then I learned that rule. But if I would not have shot that, if I would have not seen that in person, would I have ever have experienced that rule? Hell no, I'm not looking that up, right? Like we don't see that a whole lot. So you just have to learn as you go along and understand that not everybody who is a CRO or an RO knows the rules. It's, it's how it works. It's okay. 
It, it's not, there's nothing wrong with that. Just make sure that you get the rules out and you, you check it. That's all. Yep. I mean, there's, there are some ROs and people that can quote you like that. I One agree. And then I go look at them like, wow, you are yeah. right. But yeah, there's I, other people like you and me that yeah. know everything we know how to reference it quickly. Right. But I can't tell you what it is. I know what I need to know for what I deal with 90% of the time. Yeah. Right. Uh, a good one is um, standing uh, or the uh, one foot in, one foot out or standing outside the shooting yeah, area. Yeah. Pretty simple, right? Like I've dealt with this for three years out of the four years I've been shooting. If you have one foot in and one foot out, you are technically out of bounds. Mm -hmm. Unless the stage briefing says completely out of bounds, you are allowed to stand with one foot in and one foot out. It's, It's not gaming, guys. It's following the rules. They write the rules. You follow what they write, period. I've had this conversation. I can't tell you how many times with very high end range masters in our sport that wanted to argue that rule with me. So it's just, you have to know the rules that, that you have to know period. Right? So if it says completely out of bounds, you're completely out of bounds. They've changed some of the rules recently for uh, wrist below belt. Right now it's instead, instead of hands relax, it's wrist below belt. Why? Because not everyone stands the same, right? I mean, yeah. what is relaxed? Some guy stands here with his shoulders slumped down, or you have another guy who's actually got his shoulders back. Is he relaxed because he doesn't just go into a noodle position? I mean, you know, so it's, again, it's try to simplify that stuff, but know the rules you need to know, right? It's, it's really that back. simple. And I know they can't because it's a classifier, but there's some classifiers that, hey, say hands relax at side. We shot one this last week. And I'm like, nobody practices that anymore. <laughs> it's just like, and every right. time I RO like three or four people on that stage, I'm like, hands relax at side. They are no at your yeah. side. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but I mean, but listen, it, it's the same yep. thing. It's just, it's basically wrist below belt is the, the, the go-to thing now. So that, I mean, I just, yeah. I think some of the changes that are, that they're made, that they made recently are good. When it comes to that, I mean, I've never been a big equipment guy, like, uh, you know, having the equipment in one position. I mean, just put it where you need to have it legally and learn it. Right. I do like that. They change some of that stuff for the ROs because it is kind of hard to, to, to know where, you know, you have to walk up to somebody's hip bone and, you know, not everybody yeah. knows that, you know, and then you're over there, you're, you're kind of screwing around with the guy constantly ask, Hey man, let me, let me see where your hip is, move your shirt. And, you know, it's just kind of time consuming. Yeah, uh, anywhere was nice. That was a yeah, it is. It is. You know what, dude, I actually went back. I actually went back. I actually put my, um, my mags pouches. I, I've always had the gun uh, other than the open gun. Cause it's impossible to draw the open gun from back by your hip because it angles so much. But, um, I actually put my mag pouches back to my hips. Yeah, so I never, I never moved mine. I moved them up maybe an inch or two, but nothing right. major, just enough to be comfortable, but I didn't want to because that's where i learned to index and we all know when you have years of habits you're not gonna break it <laughs> well one of the reasons i moved it was because I, I wanted to shoot ipsic and uh they haven't changed their rules to match ours so i mean there's really no uh, continuity with those yeah, between the two so the, you're doing the ipsic match in september right yeah i think it's uh pan american games still man i'll tell you you want to talk about a match that's hard to get information on dude like i mean i paid for that uh, over a year ago 
it got moved to this year. I, I lost last year. Cause obviously with the pandemic shit, maybe sure. it's been two years, yeah. but you know, I paid money for that. And, and I'm like, uh, what are the dates? When is the match? And then it pops up. I'm like, Oh, cool. Like, it's a good thing that I, someone let me know, <laughs> you know, it's like, there's no emails coming yeah. through. It's really weird. Like it's not, it's not the same as, um, you know, USPSA, uh, but you know, I'm not sure how, I think Frank's got that from Florida, uh, from the Universal Shooting Academy. So I, I'm not sure how that works. I, I have a, a buddy that I call every once in a while. I'm like, hey, man, like, what's going on with this match? Is it still on? Like, I don't even, I'm not even sure what squad I'm on, what dates I shoot. I just have it blocked off for almost a full week because that's how long the match goes. I don't know what that means, right? Am I shooting the yeah. whole week? Am I shooting two days, three days? I don't know what the hell's going on. So I've got to find out because um, it's... Good. It's Georgia and that's and then that, right? Dude, it's crazy. And then right after that, I have another match. I, uh, I'm trying to think what I have. So I have area eight first. Um, I have area eight before that. I have, so first match is area eight, which is on the 26th, 27th, 28th, kind of that weekend of August. Mm -hmm. Then Georgia, the very next weekend. Then Care Optics Nationals. Then the Pan American games on the 14th through the 20, that'll tell you how long I've like, I blocked it out from the 14th yeah. to the 21st. I have no freaking clue when the match actually is. I know it ends on the 21st, which is good because I leave on the 22nd to go to Oklahoma for area four. So, and then after that, I have the South Carolina class on the first of, of October 1st. Then I have the one weekend off. Then I go to open nationals the very next weekend. Then I have the very next weekend after that PCC nationals. And then I have a class in Texas. Uh, geez. And then <laughs> my buddy's wedding, who is I finally non shooting thing. And then I have, I'm going to try to, I, I don't think we're going to do it. I just don't think we have, I, I think I'm going to be dead, but I was thinking about putting a big match on this year around November 12th and the 13th, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. I have a class in California scheduled from the 29th and the 30th in November. It's and then I have, weekend? what's that? Is that Thanksgiving weekend? Uh, I think so. Uh, no, it's a Tuesday and a Wednesday. Okay. So um, they, they actually, they said they have better opportunities during the week to do classes there than the weekends. Weekends are usually really tough for them because they uh, fill up with shooting or whatever it is, obviously. Okay, that makes sense. And then uh, I have a class that I scheduled for the 10th and 11th of December here in Florida for myself for, you know, do a class here at home. So but yeah, man, I, I think I got a pretty full year right now. So the end of this year is going to be very crazy. But when are you picking up your open gun <laughs> after see on that? Yeah. So as soon as Carry Optics Nationals is over, I have the Pan American Games, and I think let's just look because that's a good point. I have not really scheduled that out in my head. I was like. You're going to be go shoot two nets right after. I know you're really focused on CO, so I know it's not before that. But so honestly, I might, I might just jump right into it as soon as I get home from Care Optics Nationals, bro. I might literally pick it up that week, do a bunch of dry fire, get a, a thing of practice, and then go to uh, the Pan American Game shooting open because right after that I have Area Four which I'd really like to shoot with an open gun because I, I, right after area four, <laughs> I have uh, open nationals in three weeks after that. So, I mean, yeah. what time do I have to really dial that back together? Yeah, right after CO, you got to. 
I will tell you that thanks to switching my ammo to 147 grain, uh, I feel so much better going back and forth to the open gun because now, even though the carry optus gun isn't as fast, I visually have the same vision, like the view, right? My view's the same now that I switched to 147s. It's it's been a big difference in so I haven't I don't really talk a lot. I don't really switch a lot of stuff around with my equipment. I mean, once I find something that works, I, I always use it. Um so I shoot a hundred and I was shooting 125 grain brass monkey bullets. Amazing product. So I I shot that for I mean, over a year. And I was like, man, I love the 125s. I love the snappiness. Like I wanted the, that aggressive feeling. Mm -hmm. So I switched to the open for, I don't, I don't even know how long I shot open two, three months, maybe right. Whatever it was. So after that is when I realized how much I wasn't seeing with the carry optics gun, like, and I don't want to say I was guessing but a lot of predictive shooting oh, yeah. of when to pull the trigger. Like I, I knew when to pull the trigger, like what it looked like to get the A's right. So like when it would land bang, when it would land bang, when it would land bang, but it was so violent. Like it was like, like just like jarring. It, it felt like open when you don't hold the gun, right? Like, <laughs> or if you were to take your glasses off, and like bring your comp close to your face and start shooting. It's like that, that blast of air feeling. That's kind of what I was like, all of a sudden I, I walked away from that open gun. I was like, Holy shit. I can't like, I'm really struggling seeing this. Like I'm, this is a lot faster than I've been used to uh, after the open gun. So I, when I did that, I was like, all right, this is my opportunity. Now at the beginning of the year, I'm going to switch to 147s and try them. And I borrow a, a buddy's 147 grain ammo. Once I tried hundred rounds from him, we shoot the same load, shoots the same bullets. I shoot everything, but obviously the weight was different. So I was like, all right, man, yeah, I'll try it. I didn't notice a difference at first, right? Like, I mean, hundred rounds, what the hell's hundred rounds? That's nothing like that's warm up yeah. for me. in a lot of times. Right. So I would say, so I, I called up Jason from Brass Monkey Bullets. I said, listen, man, I'm going to put an order in for 147. I got a bunch of 125s. Uh, I'm, I'm going to order some 147s. Uh, send me, you know, 10,000 rounds. And if I didn't need them, I have other people that will take them, right? Like I can sell them, whatever. So, or hell, Jason and I are really good friends. So, and, and you know, he sponsors me. So if I had to, I would meet him someday and be like, Hey bro, let's trade these out. <laughs> you know, like yeah. they're, just, they're still in the box. I can't use them or whatever. So I go and I shoot for, Oh man, let me see. I'm trying to think how long it took me before I really was like, okay, I would say close to, I would say probably three sessions. So maybe a month uh, of shooting them, maybe two months of shooting those bullets. And the accuracy that I've seen since I switched to 147s is stupid, like stupid, stupid. Now I'm a better shooter, obviously than before. I've learned a lot this year, but I just walked away from a match and I had 95 alphas and 12 Charlie. So I'm like, Hmm, that's, that was good. <laughs> like I'm yeah. like, and I shot my speed, right? Like I, sh I didn't, I wasn't slow. I was there at the top. Like I was supposed to be, but yeah. I was like, Holy shit. Like, I guess I'm seeing this, like it's there, right? Like I'm feeling good. 
And I, I don't, I was sick. I'm still sick a little bit, but I was sick during that match. So I was like, Oh, like even without feeling great, the accuracy was still there, right? Like I'm seeing things I'm seeing that the, the gun's just sitting so much calmer. So I shot 125s right after this practice. I have some 125s left over. So I, oh, I, I just, what's that? You can tell, definitely tell. Oh my God. I was like, <laughs> holy shit. Hold on. Like it was a big difference. Like where I really noticed it was when I wasn't ripping, but when I went one, two, and the second shot, I could feel the gun like mm, fight, like snap me. And I was like, whoa, like, all right. Okay. I got it. Like I've been, this is what I was dealing with on transitions on everything. I really noticed the difference. So I was like, oh, okay. I definitely like my 147s yeah. and I'll be there for a while. So now, if you uh, really want to get spoiled, go get the, well, I know, I don't think Grass Monkey makes them, but Extreme makes a 165. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not doing that. So oh there God. is a, there is a, uh, a point where it is not good. Right. So 165s, I feel like I'm waiting on the gun. I'm going to tell you right now, because 147s, one of the reasons I switched, I, I used to, I started off with 135s uh, many, you know, four years ago when I first started. The reason I started with 135s is because I was told, like, man, 125s are really snappy. 147s are slower. Waiting, so yeah. you're, you're waiting. Well, bullshit. Like, you're really not, especially when you first start, you don't have a clue. No, what don't. it feels like you really don't like i'm gonna tell you right now uh, you don't you just don't know what it feels like because you you don't have enough experience behind the firearm to know like yeah you could say all right cool like the 147 is slow but what i mean is 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 it actually slow are you waiting on the firearm to land right i, I mean that's what you should be looking at when you switch equipment are you waiting for the gun to be back in battery to pull the trigger right so with 125s, I never waited. With 147s, I've never waited. But here's the thing with the 147s. Because it's calmer, I can actually shoot faster. Not because I'm shooting faster splits, but because I can shoot sooner. The gun, I can see it sooner, right? Not only can I see it sooner <laughs> because it's not going crazy and just flashing in front of my eye, but now that it's calm, I can see the hits. Like I can see the i'm like so much more target focused than i've ever been like i'm picking that spot and i'm like there it is there it is with the 125 because i had to keep the speed up and the gun was so violent i was really just it's there it's there i i never really could see the calm like the dot the glass is vibrating <laughs> everything's just going mm -hmm. crazy in front of me so that that's been the biggest change in equipment this year for me has been the 147s with carry optics and my accuracy is just really exploded i've been walking off stages with three four charlies three charlies like today like yesterday i walked off on sunday i walked away from some of the stages and i was like hmm two charlie that's awesome like and i'm like it was that target right there and that target right there and they're like yeah and i'm like some bitch <laughs> right like that's a level that i i've never been at and that i'm starting to see and it's starting to pay off in matches you know i'm seeing it in my results and matches and things like that. But uh, so one of the reasons why I was out testing ammo or why I was out practicing is because, uh, yeah, baby. The, rival. the new rival is in the hands. So um, I want to say thank you to Nils 
for um, making me spend more money. Uh, you well, big it's jerk. A whole, it's a whole 350 bucks for a rival. Come on. Uh, no, it's uh, it's not. It's $600, dude. I hate to tell I you. I was just talking shit. But uh, I want to thank him for, uh, or uh, unthank him because he's a jerk because I, uh, you know, he's such a nice guy, dude. I, I really like talking to him. I don't like losing to him. But, um, you know, we talked a little bit at area five and it was cool because he, you know, we, it was funny. Cause he's like, um, we were over there, like two kids, like showing each other the firearms at the same table. He's like, Oh, let me see yours. And I'm like, Oh, let me see yours. And it was just like, I'm like, what the hell's going like, if anybody's watching, this is so weird, <laughs> but I, uh, everything, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, but I picked up his rival and, uh, having the conversation with him, uh, the guns are pretty close to identical. Like, like the TP nine SFX is, I still love that gun. Like I'm going to tell you, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not buying the rival because the TP nine SFX isn't a great, uh, pistol. I picked up the rival because of just a few things. The trigger was a big one. Uh, it's a stock trigger. I don't have to touch it. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, and I'll show you, I don't know how well it'll come up on camera, but the one thing that Canik has done, and you can kind of see it here. They did a nice, uh, well, let me just switch the focus here. I want to see if you can get it this way. There we go. So right here, I still can't see, but they gave me a Magwell, Magwell, right? They gave me a mini Magwell. That was really the only thing that I would have liked, um, out of the TP nine SFX that they didn't have. Um, but I will tell you after going to open and then coming back to carry optics, open and limited guns are bullshit like they really make you suck like i'm not gonna lie like i i really enjoyed shooting open but you lose a lot of fundamentals when you shoot guns with big giant magwells so when i went back to the the uh canic i really had to focus back down on those fundamentals of reloads because i didn't have that big ass giant magwell to slap a to reload in so you know, I think it's funny. I think a lot of people complain about like, or I shouldn't say complain, but a lot of people, when they switch back to other guns, they're like, oh man, I suck. It's like, no, dude, it's just that you forgot those fundamentals from that, from the other gun, right? Yeah. You, you change from one pistol to another pistol that don't have the same features. They're a little bit different, sometimes better, sometimes worse. So for me with the rival, uh, I made an upgrade, right? Like all the things that I don't have on the TP nine SFX I have now in, in the rival. So th that was the only reason I changed. Honestly, I, I, I didn't need a new one, <laughs> right? I didn't yeah. need a new one. I just changed for those little benefits. So I'll kind of segue a little bit into that. And it's kind of something that I've been, you know, talking about quite a bit with you. If you're going to change equipment, you better damn well believe that that equipment is an improvement. Mm -hmm. If that quit equipment is not an improvement. Okay. And there's not a reason to truly switch over like anybody who shoots a striker fire and decides to go to a double action gun. Okay. You're talking about here. I don't either. I I'm just saying <laughs> you better have a good reason to switch to that firearm, whether there's weight, uh, better mags, better magwell. Uh, it's more accurate, whatever it is, whatever your reason you should have a, a, a it should be better than what you already shoot. Well, yeah, and it, it was, I'm not saying my timing was good because I can track the dot better on the CZ 
the, well, the Shadow 2 versus the Legion. And it's just a better balanced gun in my hand. Should I have done it in the middle of the summer, like four months out from uh, Nats? Probably not. I probably should have waited until after Nats, but live and learn. I don't know anybody who would have told you that either. Shut I mean, up. it's crazy. You know me. I've got a hard head. Once I get in my yeah. mind, I go. I don't know any, and I'm going to, I want to thank Tyler for ruining you again and uh, making you switch pistols again. Nobody so, made, nobody so, made so, so let's let, I mean, I, I'll bring it up because it's, um, it's not a bad thing, right? It's just timing. You got to yeah. think about what your timing is when you make a decision to make those switches. That's why off seasons are so important. A lot of people don't take those off seasons to do those changes and those tries and, and change things All out. Right. They, they want to do it in the middle of the season. Why? Because that's when we shoot. Yep. And I, and I knew that, but I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. I'm like, it's a carry optics gun. They're a carry optics gun. I underestimated the DASA trigger because I switched striker fires before and it wasn't a big deal. No, the striker DASA, is a striker though. Right. Striker, striker. That's totally different. But the DASA was a difference and I'm still even at the beginning of my training session yesterday, we found that I'm still flinching a little bit on the DA. I'm like, so that would explain a lot why I get low Charlie's slash Delta. Right. I'm like, because I'm still flinching on that. We worked it out, but it's something that I didn't have with the striker fire. I didn't have that low left hit. It was always in the low A or in the A zone. Have you thought about going back? Uh, yeah, I did, but I don't think I'm going to. Why? Because you feel like you'll be, you that I would be right? <laughs> no, it, I don't want to. I think I would go back. Um, what we've got three, four weeks now. Yeah, it's too late now, I, dude. I know. Go now. back, relearn everything again, and I'm in the same position because then right after that, I'm going back. I'm just like, take my lumps now. Um, this nats, I I want to do as well as I can at this nats, but this nats for me is also a learning experience for me. I think you have the right mindset, bro. Yeah, because I mean, if I would, if I felt I could go out there and kick ass in B class, I probably want them ever made the change. But mm -hmm. I'm going with I want to go to Nats. I want to shoot for three days. I want to learn what it is when I go back next year. Whatever class I am, I want to be top five. That's my goal. Yeah, I um. So, I mean, I guess, I guess we'll talk about it. Cause I kind of wanted to talk about it a little bit tonight. I was one, I, you know, Craig didn't, obviously he's not coming back on cause his um, internet doesn't work, but he made a good joke. I, I was able to make fun of him a little bit and he couldn't fight back. So that was kind of awesome. But uh, when his internet didn't work, but you know, we talked about this, uh, I guess a month ago, it's probably been a month since we had the podcast yeah. and you know, the plan was that you were going to train this weekend, this many weekends, you had, you know, dry fire practice, all these things. And then I don't know if we talked about that originally, but you were able to get down here to Florida and, and we practiced together. Yeah. It's, that wasn't an, I don't think that was in the cards. Then, so no. Yeah. yeah. You came down and you spent some time with some family and, and we actually got to, tra uh, to train together. So what do you think of the practice, dude? Like how different was my practice versus the way you practice? Well, when Tyler and I go out and practice, we do a lot of the same, but there's also a different level and a different viewpoint that you bring that Tyler and I don't have. We don't have it where we can see it and pick it out. And we've changed our training, especially for me. Um, 
going to a lot of setting up mock stages and stuff like that because that's where I got to put the effort in and I need to let everything else come to me. So I'm, so I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up. But go ahead, finish. But I'm glad you brought that up. I don't remember why I was gonna say you interrupted so rudely. Oh well, good. All right, well, good because <laughs> I wanted to interrupt because I don't want to get past that point. So I used to pr- run stages all of the time, and I got to the point where I was like, man, you know, I- I'll never forget the conversation. I shot against Max Leagrandis. I had just made Grandmaster. Um, it was Area Six three years ago, I think I think, uh, yeah, it was my second year of shooting. I made grandmaster and he came to area six, which was unusual. Cause he didn't usually come to area six. Right. So I had my opportunity to shoot against him. And my training at that point was just run stages, right? All I did was shoot stages. I, and I, when I practiced, I practiced shooting stages and I remember him beating me. I think it was like 75 points or something. And, and, uh, I beat him on a few stages, you know, so like, I'm thinking, all right, man, cool. I'm, I'm getting better or whatever. So I remember sitting down at the end and asking him like, Hey man, like, how do you practice? Like, do you shoot stages? He goes, not at all. He goes, I don't do any stages. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I don't shoot any stages at all. So my, my training changed from that point on. I never shot stages ever again. Let me rephrase that. (laughs) The next year of my training was zero stage running. I just ran drills. Um, practiced moving and shooting in drill scenarios and I got better, right? I got a lot better, but I shot every weekend at matches, right? I shot locals. I shot any kind of majors that we had a lot of level twos here in Florida at the time. We used to shoot a lot of level twos until the ammo crisis or whatever you want to call it COVID bullshit. So I remember sitting down and going, man, you know, like, I, I'm, I don't need to shoot stages anymore. It's pointless. Don't shoot stages. Don't shoot stages. It's not good. Cause, and, and he made a good point. All you're doing is chasing the high hit factor. And I, he's correct, right? I used to chase the high hit factor. Mm-hmm. And then I realized one of the reasons I got good as fast as I did was because I shot a lot of stages at practice. And this is one of the things I brought up to you after we, Actually, it was this weekend. I think we talked about it. Yeah. At this point where you are, you need to shoot stages and not do a lot of drills. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> you need drills, but you need a lot more stage planning or stage running and shooting stages because yeah. that's where you're failing. You're not failing at stand and shoot drills. You're not failing at practice. You're yeah. failing at matches, which is what we're doing this for. Right. If you want to be a great shooter in USPSA, you have to do USPSA shit. You can't just go and go, okay, cool. I'm going to stand here and shoot some stuff. We don't stand anywhere unless we're doing classifiers. Right. The majority of our shooting is on the move or shooting some stuff and then moving or entering, shooting some stuff and then leaving. We, We don't do a lot of standing and shooting stuff for long. How about that? Right. There are sections, obviously, that you have to do that. So what do you need practice with in your shooting? If you want to become a better stage runner, practice shooting stages. Now, this is the thing that I would change in my shooting from when I started. I don't care about hit factors. No, I mean, I honestly, I honestly don't care about splits. I care about 
how I'm shooting the stage. Am I smooth? Am I remembering all the targets? <laughs> am I being aggressive at all times? Like, am I, am I always attacking? I'm looking to become a better USPSA shooter for stages, not just with my gun. Yes, gun skills matter. Fundamentals matter. Sometimes when I have these conversations out loud, I feel like people just pick them apart and go, oh, look, he, he's, not th he's not talking about fundamental. No, bullshit. Fundamentals are everything in this game. I teach the fundamentals at speed because that's what we do, right? Fundamentals, slow fundamentals are just slow fundamentals. You're not going to get faster. You have to go faster to win in this game, period. Time matters. It really does. So I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking at your training in, in general. And I'm like, dude, your training isn't filling the hole of your weakness, right? And your weakness right now is stage planning or not, not even stage planning. It's, it's execution. It's the, not execution. Even it's the effort and getting out of my freaking turtle. Which is execution, dude. That's well, execution. Anyway. No, no, that is execution. So, are. so here's the thing. When you walk a stage, you don't walk the stage and go, I'm going to go slow. You walk the stage like, all right, cool. I'm, I'm going to crush this. I'm going I'm to go fast or I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then when it's the beep goes off, you go breaks. Yep, turtles. Only. Right. And not just you, dude, this, this is every single person oh. I see. Even guys that are really good, even grandmasters and masters and, and A-class shooters and everybody at the top, I still see them not push when they should or, or could, right? Now, obviously not all of them, <laughs> but mm -hmm. you see it a lot. Just because there's a guy with a G next to his name doesn't mean he crushes it. Doesn't mean no. he pushes, right? Classifiers. Damn right. So again, the reason I brought this up is because to kind of get this out there out in the open so people understand you have to know what the holes are in your game. You have to understand that if you're going to matches and you're getting your ass kicked at matches and you're not fast, maybe you're not training properly. Maybe it's not your skills. Maybe it's you don't practice what you need to practice. And, and stage running and, and running stages is a huge part of our sport. It is the sport. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so if you choose to just do a bunch of stand and shoot drills and uh, okay, cool. I'm going to work on my gun skills, but you don't ever actually work on running stages. How the hell do you get better at running stages? Go to a local every once in a while. Well, that dude, that's most locals for most people is one. They got three weeks of nothing in between that. Yeah. And that's, I think that's where I'm lucky here. And I think you, you have the availability of equal, if not better, because I can shoot five, four outdoor and one indoor in a month on saturdays so i mean because all right I so, really so let, to travel i could go down to Atlanta and do some on right. sundays so let's talk about this because i just brought this up to you as well i even told you stop going to these matches stop mm -hmm. going to these bullshit matches these some of these matches that i've watched you go to aren't work for you they, they're not good because you don't get a second crack at it you don't get a third a fourth a fifth a sixth crack at it you'd yeah. be better off setting up one stage at home running that some bitch over and over and over again. If, if you get a dozen runs out of just that one stage, you're going to get a dozen chances at fixing things, learning, re-educating yeah. yourself on, okay, I, I didn't go as fast here, but I got better hits here. Okay. Oh, the next time I see this kind of section, I know that I don't need to go as fast. I need better hits here, but it's going to speed up all this over here. 
uh, you know what I mean? There's, there's areas that you, as you run stages and you start to do this and you start to understand there's sections and pockets that don't always require full speed. Yeah. Then there's times when full speed is a necessity or you get your ass kicked on the stage. Right. And that's the part that most people don't, uh, they struggle to see why, because they get one shot at a stage when they go to a match. So they're not actually getting that second, third, fourth, and fifth run. I'll, I'll give you an example of, and not everybody gets the opportunity to do this, but I do because I run a match and I don't even care if uh, I've been at local matches. And before I walked away from the match, I went to the range master and said, Hey, do you mind if I run that stage again before it gets torn down? I just need one. I don't even care. I'm not scoring it. I just want to run that stage again. Mm -hmm. How many people do you know? Ask that question. This many? Yeah, that zero, but. I've done it for, I've done it for my own stages. Like if it's the last one of the day and I just screwed it up, I'm like, Hey guys, I'm just I'm running, running this again. Here. I'm running it. Right. But I'm the match director and they look at me. You're, I'm like, yeah. But that's the difference in a winner and a champion, right? Or a guy who just shoots and a champion. Well, that guy be, is going to go for that extra effort to get better. Right. The, and I did that very same thing. I know we started our outlaw hit factor, hit factor scoring match. And I, I totally hosed that one. I sent you as a drill yep. because I was trying to do too much at once. Yeah. I went back and because that was our last stage and old Todd would have just walked away. I was like, Hey guys, somebody throw the timer on don't score it or anything. I just want to beat my time. Yep. And I want to knock eight seconds off of it. Yep. And I'm just so, like, dude, it just happened yeah. to me. I just had this happen. This match, I, 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 I was the end of the day. I was really tired. I didn't feel good. I shot a stage and I made a mistake, right? I actually, the funny part is the mistake I made <laughs> was because I was too fast. I went to reload and I went so fast to the mag that I actually reloaded the old mag that was at the bottom of the gun and pushed it back in. Oh, geez. And I was like, what the, and I watching this in slow motion, because even though it wasn't in slow yeah. motion, I'm watching it hit and I go, oh, I'm screwed and push it back <laughs> in and I'm about to step away and I'm like, shit. And I'm, you know, you do the old flipper yeah. and all this thing. So, yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what the, and I, so I shoot, get up to the front and there's big giant, like huge pumpkins. And I'm like, yeah, big steel. And I just start slinging rounds. So I hit the first one, hit the second one. And then I got to shoot like this one to the right that, that I had a kind of little bit of a lean and I went miss, miss ugh, paper, hit it again. I was like, Oh my God, it was terrible. So I ran it again after we were done, but before I walked away from that stage, I ran it again for no score. I don't, I don't need the score. It didn't matter. I, the score I had originally was the real run. So I ran it again, uh, crushed it by two seconds did the same exact damn thing on the reload though. If I would not have, but you know, what's funny about it. It wasn't the reload that, that even though I did it, I, this time I stopped myself, right? I stopped myself from reloading, got rid of the mag finished, but I calmed down as I went to the front this time, I didn't try to make up that time. So you know what that proved to me? I learned. Yeah. If I would not have ran that a second time, I probably wouldn't have learned what I learned on the second run. I learned, okay, shit went wrong. Relax, calm down, bop, bop, bop. And I was much more relaxed on the second one after the mistake. 
right? So I learned from the first run. I learned stay in it. it. You can't make up the time anyway. And I was still two seconds faster than the first run because I didn't start slinging rounds. So it's just things like that, that, you know, I mean, I made a mindset Monday this week that you were a big part of. You were the reason I actually ended up making that mindset Monday. We sat down on the phone this weekend while I was out training and we had a long conversation about where you're at and where your training is. And, and, you know, I don't, I didn't question your effort, but I questioned your effort. Like what's your commitment level, right? I mean, I, I remember saying to you, like, Todd, what is your commitment level? How bad do you want this? Cause I'm going to tell you how bad I want it. My ass ran a match on Sunday. I was there Saturday night, putting it together, came back on Sunday morning, ran the match, left at one o'clock, went and got lunch. And my ass came back to the range after my lunch, after my match. And I still went and practiced after that. So I was like, so I question, I question everyone's commitment. I mean, I, I really do. When I see people that, you know, they complain about how they don't have time or they don't get to practice. And I, what's your commitment, man? What, what do you want out of this game? What do you want out of the game? That's my question. And it always will be right. Yeah, and it's funny because I know you and Tyler talk and you probably talk about your favorite trainee a lot, but one of the things that Tyler and I talked about Sunday when we were practicing at the range, he's like, so Tyler's like, okay, I'm not okay with being okay, but you seem to accept that. And I'm like, that's a good statement. Because that's a great was, statement. Yeah, I was just like, I I thought about it and I was like, I'm moving out of that zone, but I'm still in that zone and I want to be in that zone. I want yep. to be whatever my classification says I am. I want to be top three, top five, whatever it is, every place I go. And that's yeah. something that... I'm getting better at, but I'm not there because I'm not doing all the stuff and as I should and remembering the stuff. And it's not, it's the, let's go out there and just do it and it'll come, which it does somewhat, but you got to put the effort. You got to put the mental game <laughs> into it. You have to do everything else with that. And yeah. So, yeah. So I shot uh area five. I shot at area five and I'm going to tell you, man, I haven't been this upset with myself in a long time. Like oh, I know. my, <laughs> my buddy, Troy, that my buddy, Troy Duncan, that I shot with in Ohio, um, big shout out to him, bro. He's, he's a really great guy. It, it, it's, uh, he, you know, you just, you meet people in this sport that are just genuinely great people. Right. So we rode together. I flew up there to us, to Cincinnati or wherever the hell airport I went to. And he picked me up and we drove to Michigan and we stayed together, shot the match. And, uh, you know, it, it's really funny because I'm not a negative person. Like I'll say what needs to be said out loud. Like I, I'm, I have no problem with that, but I'm not a negative person. I'm, I'm genuinely a positive, happy dude. Like I love my life. Um, I love this sport. You know, even there, there's people in this sport that I could do without in my life ever again. But uh, this, this is an amazing game right? This is, I mean, we get to do this for a hobby, like shoot shit on the move. Like it's pretty awesome. But I will tell you, I have not been this pissed off in a very, very long time. I mean, I was so upset with myself after area five. 
And this, my poor buddy, Troy, man, I mean, we drove home almost three hours and I bet you the first hour of that conversation was me. I mean, dude, I made a video of myself. Like I had to talk to my phone because I had to get it out. And and Troy doesn't talk a whole lot. So it's kind of perfect. He just lets me never shut up. So it's really kind of good. Uh, yeah, 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 right, exactly. Wait, but, but, well, where's Craig? He would have got his joke there. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I, you know, I sat down and talked to Troy quite a bit and he was like, dude, I understand. He's like, I, I get it. And I'm, I'm upset too. He's like, I shot, I never shot this bad in my life. And I was like, dude, I didn't shoot bad. (laughs) You know, like I didn't shoot bad. I shot really well. I just had moments like bullets right like one bullet here or one bullet there it wasn't even that i shot bad so it wasn't that's the thing i think i was the most frustrated with is i shot really well dude i was in the top three against two professional shooters right like literally professional shooters national champions i'm right there with those guys and i don't even shoot for a living i i mean i i had the lead on day one and i just I dropped it. Right. I mean, I dropped it. I just, and I don't do that. Like, that's not me. I I'm when I love the pressure moment, I want the ball, like send me the ball coach. I'm I'll get it. Right. I'm going to throw the touchdown. I'm going to get the touchdown. That's just the way I've always been. And I love those moments. And I just, honestly, the, the stage that killed me was where, where it happened was for my fundamentals just fell to shit. Like just, I, I shot, I had a pretty good draw. Everything was good. I have to shift over. And when I shifted, I was just on overdrive, man. I wasn't focusing. I just, I don't know. And we talked about this a lot recently, but I, I didn't eat. I didn't eat a lot of food. I ate a lot in the morning, but I woke up at 530 that day, stretched, but did a little bit of working out to get warmed up. Felt great, man. This match, I felt so good physically. Like I took a week off of working out before the match because I had been beating the shit out of my body for like three months straight. I mean, my wife is killing me with the legs. I've been working out, you know, all this stuff. So I took a week off and I think only I worked out Thursday in the hotel. I worked out Thursday and then I stretched Friday, uh, Saturday, Sunday, whatever, whatever days I was there. And and I felt great rolled. Everything was good, but I just, man, I, I still, I'm still pissed about the way that match went, dude. I I mean, I'm telling you, I cannot tell, I cannot express it enough. Like the internal fire and how pissed I am at myself right now for that match. I had that match. I mean, listen, I have to earn the match though. I I don't want to say like, Oh man, you know, these guys got lucky. I saw, no, I have to keep my head together and still win that match. But I was 50 points up on day one. That's a lot of points to lose in day two. (laughs) Right. And yeah, it's a tough match. I had shot some of the toughest stages of the match. I felt like the second half of my match was easier. Obviously the one that the one that I dropped it on actually was one of my, the, the stages I hated. I really hated that effing stage. Not, not just because I shot it bad, but before I even shot it, I was like, God, I hate this stage. I just, it was just uncomfortable. I just couldn't get locked in physically. Right. And I, I guess that's probably why I shot it like shit. <laughs> so, you know, but um, it was a great match, man. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I, I really, that match proved to me where I am as a shooter. I didn't think I was as good as I was in that match. Like, I didn't think I had the skill set 
to execute a lot of those things and be at the top. Like I doubted myself in many ways before I hit that match. Does that make sense? I mean, that doesn't usually sound like me, but I am a, a person, I'm a human being. And, um, you know, I feel like I have weaknesses in my shooting. I don't feel that much anymore. Like I, I mean, there's always room to get better. I'm not saying that, but I feel so much better after that match. Right. I, I mean, if I had to lose, this is probably a good time to lose <laughs> yeah. and I because I'm pissed off. <laughs> I feel sorry for Troy because I know my conversations with you since area five, <laughs> let alone his at the bat yeah. all the way home. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Cause I met his girlfriend. Uh, she's awesome. Her name was Kim. She's super great. And we had, a, you know, she follows shooting cause of him. And we had a lot of conversations at, at the thing. And we, you know, kind of, there was a lot of mental stuff going on at that match right afterwards. It was great because, you know, talking to Troy and he's like, Oh man, I shot like shit. And I'm like, Troy, you shot really well. I was like, "This was the hardest match I've ever shot. It really was. It was the hardest match I've ever shot. And he was just like, Oh man, but I shot 13 mics or something like that. And then I was like, have you even looked to see how you did? Like you might've won with 13 mics. Like that's how hard the match was. Yeah. Well, Max Michelle had what six mics? He had seven mics. He had, well, I, okay. I think yeah. he had six mics and a no shoot. So, okay. um, so Troy shoots, he had three mics away from winning his class. So I, I said to him, I said, Yeah, you really shot shitty. <laughs> you know, what I mean, like if you're literally three bullets away from winning your division, you didn't really have a shitty match. Now, obviously, it depends on what your standards are. Right. Yeah. But we get wrapped up sometimes in our shooting and we don't think about like, that's why I kind of made a video when I first exited the match, because I was like, dude, I don't want to, I don't want to be down on myself about my performance. I want to be pissed about the results, not my performance because I really did shoot a good match. I mean, I, I was very, very happy with my shooting. I just, there's always room for improvement. Always. I mean, if you miss a piece of steel, that's a mic, even though you can make it up, it's a mic, right? So I go back and I watch some of the stages and I look at, I listen for those things. I don't care. Like, all right. Yeah. My footwork, I'm looking for footwork timing. What did I do? When did I pull the trigger? All those kind of things. So if I'm here and miss, 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 those are all mics. That's a quarter of a second, quarter of a second, quarter of a second right before the steel goes down start adding those numbers up and you start to see okay maybe i shouldn't be going as fast on a 35 yard small mini popper or did i sit on the target for too long aiming at it kind of thing right those are all things that i go back and rewatch in those videos and uh you know like i said man it's uh i'm kind of glad i'm pissed it's it's really motivated me to uh put the work in i think i would uh I don't think I'd be putting in the amount of effort that I am right now in my shooting. <laughs> that, yeah. And I know this is probably too little too late, but my regimen has really changed from up until actually for like last three weeks. I've been doing this shoot a match and then go work out, then go shoot on Sunday. Yeah. Actually it didn't happen when I was down in Florida, but before that and since then I've shot a match went in practice on Sunday and it's, that's a lot of time and money investment on it. I mean, a match is 150, 200 bullets, but when I go to the range, it's usually like three to 600. Yeah. So 
and then you're well, shooting I, a thousand in a weekend. That's yeah. the commitment I'm talking about, bro. That's oh, what I talked about earlier. That is, I don't, and this is the worst time to be a committed shooter. <laughs> oh, I know, trust me. Not a cheap, easy way. Around. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you try to, you can substitute that with dry fire. Like when you go to the range and you're running stages, dry fire them. You don't need to shoot them every well, single do, time. But I dry fire somewhat. I dry fire probably about 30, 20, 30% of it. But yep. to me, dry fire is good. Yes, you can run it. You can get your dot up and stuff like that. But for where I'm at trying to run it and learn the new format I'm doing, I've got to have that live fire. Yeah. I do listen. I'm a big live fire guy. Yeah. I uh I will pick live fire over dry fire all day. I'm the opposite of some other people. <laughs> like I'm the dry, I'm the shoot guy over the dry fire guy. I, I enjoy shooting. I feel like I get instant feedback. Um, yes, there are times while I'm on the range that I need to stop pulling the trigger so that I can feel something or you know, see something, see if there's some movement that I'm having because of the, you know, the dot tells me a lot. So you know, you have to dry fire that I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but yeah. nothing beats live fire. If you can afford it, or if you have the time to do it, I, I just talked to a guy this weekend and, and I said to him, I said, man, you know, what are you doing to train? And he's like, Oh, I just, I, you know, he's like, I practice a lot. And I go, Oh, that's cool. What do you practice? He goes, I do a lot of dry fire. I said, how many, how many times do you shoot? Like, how much are you shooting? He goes, oh, I, bear, I don't really get to shoot a lot. I come out to the match that you guys build, but, I, you know, I have to dry fire a lot more. I was like, you need to fight for some time to get that live fire yeah. because you can't fix live fire shooting with only dry fire. You have to go to the range and get some of that live fire done. A lot of it, because what I'm practicing when I do my dry fire, I will make sure whatever it is I'm working on in dry fire that week or whatever it is, I go out and confirm it with live fire because that's going to tell me if I'm messing up in dry fire or if I'm following the right path. Yep. And if you don't get that information, you could do dry fire and you can build in a bad habit that you're never going to break. Yeah. Um, not never, but it'll be really tough to break it. If you put hours of dry fire in with that bad habit. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's so big, dude. I mean, it's, you know, live fire is just, it's something that's super underrated. Uh, I, I shouldn't say underrated, but you know, because of our situation and how everything's going, we put a lot into dry fire. You know, we do so much into dry fire because of the financials, but at the end of the day, nothing repairs or replaces your live fire shooting. You, the more you can live fire shoot, the better you get in the sport because you have instant feedback, right? there's a lot of people who do a lot of dry fire and they can get away with it, but there's a lot of people that do dry fire and actually go the opposite direction that I've seen because they don't actually confirm that the things they're training are working in your live fire. So, you know, it's, you have to give that, you gotta, you have to have a good balance there, you know, a good happy medium there. You're not going to be able to get better in the sport, but yep. so I don't know, man, it's just, uh, I don't know. I don't want to end the podcast on a negative note and be pissed off about my area five. <laughs> so are you, uh, what's your next match? Um, going to go up to a match. I've only shot once this weekend. Um, going to go up to, uh, Asheville practical shooting association up in Burnsville. It's up on literally almost on the top of a 
hill slash mountain. Nice. No offense to me or the Rockies, not what we have around here. <laughs> <laughs> but, hills. So I, yeah, I grew up in Kansas where it's flat, but we always went yeah. to Denver and the Rockies are mountains. Not yeah, mountains. right. But anyway, but it's an interesting range because it's in a meadow that they cleared out on towards the top of this mountain and you can only shoot two squads on it, but there's six stages nice because of the logis- the logistics of it but they make it work and it's not i think there's maybe 40 uh, probably about 30 people that go and do it but it's still a fun one and chris barrett and one of my heart that's hartley's range yeah okay nice yeah i love hartley oh, dude. yeah and hartley so i'm gonna go out there and shoot with them and it's gonna i think one of the reasons i want to do it well tyler's not gonna be there it's gonna be me going in an uncomfortable zone if nobody else goes that i know outside of hartley and Britt. And some of the other guys and i'm gonna have to go and work on all this stuff myself which i mean having your buddies there is great but i also need to make sure i'm pushing it and then whatever i mess up there coming back and gonna go work on it on sunday good it's awesome it's what i want to so, hear and then from there it's uh i guess hell man it's almost there it's uh george's after that right so um, no from uh, there that's a second second saturday then you got the Third Saturday, there's three weeks till Georgia because okay. got the second Saturday, third Saturday, I'll probably do Spartanburg or might go up to Aaron's match up. The only thing about that, it's another two hour drive to that match up in, um, it's also up in Burnsville, North Carolina. What's that commitment like though? That's all I, I want to hear. Doesn't good. matter how far, dude. We have state matches here that are three hours that I drive to if I need it. Well, I mean, a state match, I'm driving to it, but yeah. no, no, I'm talking about a local match, dude. Listen, I've if I need practice, I'm going important. to a damn three. I'll drive three hours if that's I've what it a, takes. Yeah, I've got a local 45 minutes away, and then I've got I could go to Aaron's, which is about two hours. So yeah, or there's one another one that weekend that I haven't shot that's two hours away also. But yeah. so I've got three options there. Then the fourth Saturday is um, Belton to put up where we're put on that one, and then Georgia, the Nets, and then yeah cry no i'm (laughs) (laughs) you'll be ready the nationals uh let's touch on that real quick because i want to bring that up since now that the uh the matchbook's out yeah the stages (laughs) yeah um if you i don't really follow the matchbook per se when it comes to like i don't try to worry about what's on those things but what I do watch for is for weird things. I'm looking for start positions. I'm looking for unusual starts. Yes. I'm also looking for uh, if they're unloaded starts, if they're, you know, mags on barrels, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, if there's any low ports, low shooting positions, and it's not really a, um, it's, I'm looking for something that I don't train on a regular basis. Strong hand weekend. Let's have that talk real quick. Area five had one of the hardest stages I've ever shot in my life. Not because of distance, not because it was strong hand weekend. It was because it was both. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They put 25 yard strong hand or weekend, your choice slashers, tuxedos and slashers. I was like, holy shit. And you had to make a decision where you were going to shoot that strong hand or weekend. I'm going to tell you right now, almost everybody shot that strong hand, long yeah. distance stuff. And then the close stuff was no shoots, but even the close stuff, I think it was 15 yards with no shoots on it. So I practiced every, I did not know that stage was there. 
I did not know they had strong hand or weak hand at the match. I don't remember really what looking at the, the matchbook. I think I looked at it real quick, but I don't even remember looking at the start positions. I just looked to see what they had. Uh, like like looking at the stage. I think I read a few of them, but I don't think I read all of them because I don't remember seeing that specifically saying I needed to practice that. So I always practice stronghand weekend at every practice before I leave. So in other words, if I have a mag left of bullets, two mags, whatever it is, I always practice stronghand weekend. I highly recommend that you practice stronghand weekend at every practice. Yep. Guess that what? way, that way, no matter what they give you, you're ready. Yep. Guess what we did Sunday? Strong, Strong hand weekend. weekend. Yep. Guess what we have at nationals this year, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, Strong hand weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Not in boxes, but moving. Strong hand weekend. And they require reloads from Stronghand to weekend. So you're yep. going to have a mandatory reload. You got to go to your left. Then you got to shoot. I I think you, you can go, you're going to keep your strong uh, freestyle and then you switch over whatever it is. But yeah. I'm pretty sure there's a mandatory reload in there after you shoot. So these are all things that if you don't practice on a regular basis, they become weaknesses, right? Yep. So for me, I shot that stage and I had only one mic and I called the shot, but because it was a Virginia count, I had to keep the mic, <laughs> but I, I, I had a dead center hit on the first one. The second one, I just moved just a little bit, but at 25 yards, that moves it three, four inches. So I just missed the A zone and, and got a mic on that. But I was super excited about how I shot that stage. I felt great. The last thing I want to talk about with area five it should be. So I okay. shot with a lot of my students. No, I'll never stop talking about that to myself. I probably won't bring it up again because no one gives a shit about me being pissed off, but I'm mad. So at myself, but one of the things that happened at the match, I shot with a lot of people that were my students from Illinois mm -hmm. and we hung out the whole match. We ate dinners together. Those guys are amazing. Love those guys. I noticed something in having conversations with a couple of my students that were in that class that I didn't shoot with. When you're shooting a match and you're getting ready to go up to a stage or let me rephrase that before it's your turn, like let's just say throughout the entire stage, right? Let's just say you go, you paste, you do two, three things, you go paste, you paste, paste, whatever. If there is not a place in your mindset that you go to the safe table and do some draws during that time, like after you've pasted, go over to the safe table, do some draws, work on your grip, practice reload with an empty mag, whatever it is you need to do. If you haven't gone to that safe table since the time that you entered the range at the beginning of the match or the beginning of the day, you're doing something wrong. You need to take advantage of that safe table when you're on the range. The safe table is not just there to take your gun out of your bag and put it in your holster. Mm -hmm. It is there for you to practice your stage. You can go to that safe table and run the stage with the firearm in your hand. You literally can stand there and visualize the stage and shoot the berm. Bah, 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 bah. Reload, boom, two, four, six, eight, boom, reload, two, four, six, eight. You can visualize the stage while you're not, while you're at that safe table. 
You can go practice your draw so that when you get up to the stage, you've already drawn 50 amazing or 25 or 10 or five or hell, even two great draws before you walked up to that stage. So one of the shooters asked me, he goes, oh, so what, you just don't paste? I go, absolutely not. You absolutely paste. I say, but there is so much dead time in our game that people don't realize that we don't take advantage of. How long do you stand over there shooting the shit with your buddies, talking crap, instead of going to focus before it's your turn? Yep. Do they have safe tables in every bay at Nats? No, they did not. Oh, at Nats? No, they don't. Not usually. They don't have the room for them. Um, but again, doesn't matter. I, I mean, this match that we went to area five, they were so spread out with safety. They had lots of them, but they were spread out. Like sometimes you'd be on a bay over here and you had to go across the, the aisle to get to the, to get to it. It wasn't even you know, like, technically it wasn't on the stage next to you it was on the stage across from you. So you'd have to walk over there. So what I would do is we would paste as soon as we got done pacing, I walked away from the stage and went over and, and drew. It's amazing how by the time I got back to the stage after I drew for five minutes, the guy had just started making ready <laughs> or had just finished the stage and I could walk over and start pasting. Now, yep. <clears throat> now if the safe table's on the bay, you have zero excuse to not yeah. be dry firing. That's what I like about Georgia. They have safe tables on, I think, every bay there. I mean, listen, it, it, it breaks down to two things, lack of knowledge, not knowing that you should be doing that or laziness period. And I, it almost always falls on laziness. Everybody knows you can go to the safe table and draw and practice. They just don't understand that that there's a huge benefit there. Yep. It's a big, big benefit. So the reason I brought this up is because one of my friends, Chris, who actually was a student in Illinois did not shoot with us. And I told him, I said, man, you know, I, I really love Chris. Like there's something about him. I met him in Alabama this year and I DQ'd and I didn't get to shoot with him, but we struck it off like right away. Just super great guy. Right. So I shot with him at the Mississippi classic and we shot together the whole match and just really enjoyed his company. We just, we have a lot of fun. He's just such a great guy. So we shot, even though he shoots wrong-handed, <laughs> he sees a lefty. So we shoot. Uh, this match, we didn't get to squat up, even though I was hoping we would, cause it was all the same group of guys, but he wasn't able to squat up. So I asked him, I said, dude, you know, we were talking on day one about how everything went. And I said, have you gone to the safe table at all? Cause some of the things that he was, was happening to him was because he was losing a little bit of his fundamentals during the stage. And I was like, have you gone to this? And it was all stuff. I'm like, you shouldn't be losing that if you're actually at the safe table and getting that, you know, reminding yourself that fundamentals matter. He's like, no, I never go to the safe table. I was like, never like ever, like during the match, you never go. He goes, no, never. I never even think of it. He goes, oh, okay. Well that makes sense. Maybe I'll try that. The very next day I'm like, don't forget the safe table stuff, dude, get, get, get to the safe table. So we talk at the end of the match. And I'm like, how'd you do? He goes, honestly, man, I crushed the one-handed stage. I go, really? I was like, dude, that's awesome. That was the hardest stage in my opinion. He goes, I, cr he goes, I didn't have any mics. I crushed it. I was like, that's awesome. And I see, he goes, you know what I did? I went to the damn safe table and I practiced my ass off and I go, so did, how did you do on the other mat? He goes, 
I didn't actually go to the safe table on any other stage with this one. I was like, Chris, dude, I, I fucking told you <laughs> to go to the safe table. He's like, I know it works now. Right. It's just little things like that. Then not everybody. There's been little things that we've talked about that I've instituted. Like the last two matches I've went to, I think it was since I trained with you in Florida, I'm burning up every time I go up there and shoot. Now it's, the little things I never thought of, but you get into the routine of it. So when you need yep. to, you don't have to think about it. You just automatically start with 23 plus one yep. and all your other mags are 22. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's, it's all consistency. It's, it's being consistent yep. all the time. So if you can do something repeatedly over and over and over again, it's really hard to make that mistake over and over and over again. Right. Cause if you're fixing it before it even happens, uh, what if you needed one bullet? Seriously, like what if you need one bullet and the only reason that you don't have that one bullet was because you were too lazy to take the mag and put the extra bullet in it? There was three times where when I went and picked up the mag, I dropped one time it was empty and there was two times that had one bullet left in it. I'm like, I was, I was like, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was like and I, every time I picked up, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to tell Tom this is a good idea. Screw you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the, the Barney thing isn't just because you want the extra rounds. It's also consistency. Oh, yeah. Right? Because what if the stage that you needed 24 rounds for, that it's a 24-round stage, and you're like, all right, cool, I'm just going to I'm, I'm gonna load up like I normally do, and you didn't Barney. What if oh, you Barneyed that. up on the stage before, but the next stage you only needed 22 rounds, You'd be like, cool, I don't need it. I, why the hell would you not take the extra round? Yep. And you know? That's just something stupid simple. Yep. I've changed since that conversation. I'm like, huh, that makes sense. And I've had that conversation with other shooters. Since, since down there. Did I'm they like, do it? Uh, one of them changed it too. One nice. other one's like, ah, he's like, I can remember I've been doing it this way. I'm like, okay. I was like, I've shot a stage yep. where I needed to Barney and I knew that. And I get to that last target, I'm like, son of a... <laughs> <laughs> Standing reload. Yep. <laughs> so I, I want you to think about this. This is the best part of that whole story. You're standing there and you're doing a standing reload. You could have done a standing reload off the clock. Oh, I know. Had right? that bullet. <laughs> like those two seconds or whatever. But yeah, you're like, because the standing reload is always the longest too, because first yep. you have to realize you're out. Yep. Then you have to go and, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, it's amazing to me how many people have come up to me and asked me about the canics and said, Hey man, you Barney up every, or do you shoot 23 plus one? I go every time I, I listen, if my stage is eight rounds, I Barney. Yeah. I did it on the classifier. Yep, I Barney. I it did. doesn't matter to me. I, I do the same start every time I grab the same mag every time, same position. I always set my mags the same way. I, I always have 24, 23 rounds on the far back one. I load from the one right in front of it so that I all, when I load, I have a full mag in the front, full bag in the second, my third mag is the one that's one down. And then I have my, my main start mag every time is 23 rounds done. On your loading mags, can you do 23 or do you got to do 22? No, every, all my, uh, no, I can, but I don't, I always uh, download to 22. That's I always download. The reason why is because of if I really need it, I can reload to a 23 round mag. The problem with a 23 round mag is you got to hammer it in. Oh yeah. Like you got to hammer it in. So I don't like doing that unless it's something that it, there's got to be a significant advantage. In other words, 
I, if I'm doing that, I need to be finishing on 23 rounds, right? Like yep. it's the, the round counts close or it's going to cost me an extra reload and a significant thing. Those are time-wise. Then that's why I would do that. But very rarely do I ever have to do that. So it, it's just kind of the way it is, but I'll tell you, man, it's uh, I've gotten to the point now where I'm willing to go for 24 rounds on a stage. If it'll give me the win. Yeah, uh, I'll take, I will plan. I, I will definitely go without a reload. I'll do it. If there's 24 rounds and it requires me to go one for one, I'm going to go one for one. And then if it doesn't go well, I'll have a mag, a reload planned out. And that's what I did. There's a stage. I think I did. I just looked it up like ninth overall on the stage this last weekend, but it right. was a 22 round stage with two pieces of steel. And it was a short movement stage because this one's just always got to be compact. And I was like, shoot this shoot this get this steel here because if i don't go one for one on the steel i know i have to do a reload yeah and i remember when i went one for one on that steel i had a little celebration in my head i'm like no reload let's go yeah <laughs> yeah and you know what i think yeah. um it's that's one of those things in practice you should be doing like if you're going to matches local matches you should be trying to go to 24 rounds and get used to that get that understanding that shooting under pressure doesn't mean shoot slower no. Right. Just because you only have 24 rounds doesn't mean you should shoot slower. I, I listen, if I have a stage where I'm shooting with no reload, I'm hauling ass still, I'm still doing my job. If I have to do a makeup shot, screw it. I got to do a makeup shot. It didn't work out. I got to reload. It's not worth it to me to shoot slower just because I'm pushing the round count. Well, you got to remember for me, the key has been to put that contingency reload in and have that mental aspect that, you know, you did it. Like when I, I was actually, this sounds stupid, proud of myself not only for going one for one that it clicked in my head that i didn't have to reload instead of just going on it was actually a mental thought okay no reload let's go yeah and your video oh you're right no, i'm good yeah it's uh it's kind of jumped up yeah I, I had um area five i actually walked the stage with the same exact conversation with a guy i was like i'm gonna shoot it was 22 round stage all paper but everything was tuxedos and no shoots and just a bunch of hard shit right not too far but a lot of transitions and really wide transitions like 15 yard gaps between some of these transitions mm -hmm. and, and you were shooting through ports and the guy asked me he's like um are you reloading i said i don't i'm not i don't think i'm going to i said but if from this point here, I have any makeup shots, even one, I'll reload. And he goes, really? He goes, you don't have a problem with that secondary, like having a backup plan? I go, not at all. Why? What, why is that an issue? Because I've already made the decision that from this point on, I'm going for it or I'm not going for it, right? Without a reload. Yeah. And I ended up being in the top four with a reload that I didn't plan on. Right. I had an extra makeup shot that I was like, mm, I'm going to reload <laughs> and yeah. I reload. And now I reloaded a little later than I would have liked to. Right. But it didn't matter. It's, I was still in the top five on that stage. Or I think I was fourth overall on that stage it, where I lost that stage was transitions. I just I felt so weird, like my coming in and out of those positions. I just couldn't get comfortable enough to like sling the gun around right like i just was like i just couldn't get myself to turn and get going where i wanted to go but i mean i i i was competitive that's all i wanted to be on that stage i felt good i was the first shooter i had a terrible state well i had one bad shot on the stage before that cost me a lot of time because i i, I shot a no shoot and had to transition back and forth to go make up the no shoot on a bobber so that that really you know i wasn't coming in there with a great 
feeling, but you know, it, it is what it is. But I was really surprised that the guy asked me if it was, um, I was really surprised that he asked me if I was okay with that, you know, and doing that. I was like, well, yeah, don't you have like, don't you have moments where you're like, well, if I can push it, I will or not. I I guess they don't. I guess a lot of people don't think like that. Up until the last year, I couldn't have done or last probably six months. Let's be honest. I would not be able to put a contingency reload in. If I thought there was a 5% chance, I was automatically reloading. Why? I mean, what, what is the fear of, especially with, okay. So you've not, it's not nationals. You're not going to nationals. So why, why, what does it matter if you're at a local match that you practice those things? I mean, you're correct. And it's a mental thing. And I know that, and I'm just saying that's why up until recently I wouldn't have done it, but now I know, Hey, I'm confident in my, well, more confident, not a hundred percent, but more confident in my shooting ability and my mental aspect. I know, that I'm going to be able to remember my stage plan. Hey, up to this point, you shot three shots on this. You got to get that reload in here or whatever it is. But before that, I don't think I, well, I know I wasn't mentally there. I think nationals is going to change your, uh, I think nationals is going to change you a lot, bro. I really do. I think nationals is going to, you're going to walk out of nationals and go all of these other matches mean nothing. Like they mean nothing. I, I cannot express well, enough I mean, how important yeah. areas are and, and, and nationals like those matches to me. And honestly, I got to a point where I didn't really get excited for area matches, but now I'm like, all right, these are the matches that matter area matches and nationals. That's the matches that I give a shit about. So now everything else beyond that is just a local match with a two on it, I guess. Right. And I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to shit on anyone's matches, but, but like, it's, it's the national championship. Like you have one national champion, <laughs> right? All that depends on your level of participation and commitment or I agree up, up until recently. I mean, sections were now I'm like, okay, I want to do good at that area matches and not shit myself. And then, um, so I will tell you, dude, yeah. you, you have a bad, um, your, your, your sectional match is really good. Like really good. So mm-hmm. you might, might have a little bit of a letdown at nationals because your match is good, but not all sectional matches are that good. <laughs> at least yeah. not, not all of them I've been to. So they're good, but like your match was really good. The, the, the pasting, the half day format, the quality of the ROs, you know, the, the range, uh, there's a lot of things you have going at your place that are, you know, you do a great job running that match. Um, you have a good section coordinator. I I don't think every match is like that in sectionals all over the country. We have a pretty good sectional match here in, in Florida. Um, I think Gorka and them run that. That that's usually a pretty good match. Uh, I think, I, man, I I can't remember the last one I missed. I think I've done them almost every year, but those are those are good. Ma- but not all sectional matches are put on like nationals, right? Like level two, like like they just have a number next to it. But it's like, oh, well, that's cool. That's a regular stage, and that's a regular stage. You know what I mean? They're not like I'm gonna tell you. Area five. I thought area six was good this year, but area five blows out every area match I've ever been to. And I've been to almost every area six match that there is in the last four years, right? In three, four years, whatever it is. But this, this area five, man, they put it on you as a shooter. And I don't, 
it's not just the difficult, like how difficult it was. It was also that they, what an amazing facility that place was like, bro, when you pull up to the registration and the sprinklers are running, you're like, damn, this place is pretty nice. You know, it's like they have sprinklers at the range, you know? I mean, it's like, I mean, they just do a really nice job with the aesthetics of that range as well. And, and it's not, and what I mean by aesthetics, it's not like when you go to Alabama where the clubhouse is the nicest part of the range, right? The bays are nice and stuff, but like mm -hmm. that range is, um, it's just a different feel, right? You're, you're walking around, just grass everywhere. It's just a different type of, of feeling at that range. It's super not, great, great weather when we were there. I loved how everybody was bitching about how hot it was. I'm like, dude, you guys don't know what hot is. Like I came out of the hotel and didn't sweat. Like, this is beautiful. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you come out of the front door, man, and you're sweating your ass off before you even get in the car to go to go to the range. So oh, I know. it was a lot different. It's it was just I don't know, man. I'll tell you, it was it was nice to have a, a hard match like that before nationals this year. I don't I have not had that type of a match before nationals. I don't think ever yet. I'm telling you, dude, that was the hardest match I've ever shot. It really was. It was, and not in a bad way. I, I, I don't want people to be discouraged when you see a hard match. I think, I think people get discouraged when they see how many mics they had, but they don't look at it from an overall match standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think stage, gosh, 13. It was stage 13 with the one-handed shooting. Day one, staff day, day one. There was not a single shooter that didn't have a mic on that stage. Wow. Then day two, one of the guys, George, uh, I'd love to take credit for this because he's a student of mine, but George shot no mics on that on our squad. No mics, had zero mics. He was the first guy. I think he said they were, he was the second guy at the time on day. It was Saturday that had the only other guy who didn't have any mics on that stage shot it clean. Yeah, dude, it was very impressive. And he shot it with a pretty good pace, right? So he shot it pretty well. But again, it's, you know, so when you go back and look at your matches and you look at your scores, how can you even be pissed about that stage, right? Now, I mean, if you shoot six mics, five mics, three mics, there's, you know, and you start looking at number as they add up. Yeah, that, that sucks. But you have to look at how many other people had multiple mics, yeah. right? Is Area 5 going to be at the same place ran by the same people again? I, I think so, and I hope that they um, – I hope it's not as hard next year. So, I I, I, well, listen, I'm down with it. I, I'm not saying that, but I'll tell you, the one thing about that match is you had to have your shit wired tight. Like, you, there was no – you had – you couldn't take a bullet off. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't even take one single trigger pull off. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm going to tell you, I think part of the reason why it, it, it was a harder match than, than what it probably really was like to the shooter, especially to me was because the easy targets, you couldn't take them for granted because you were expected to have mistakes on other targets. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like you're running these stages and you're like, F I had a mic on the damn five foot target, but I shot at two alphas on a 25 yard freaking um, tuxedo. Like how the hell do I hit that? And I can't hit this one five feet in front of me. So it was like, you could not make mistakes on the easy shit because the hard shit was where you were supposed to make mistakes. Right. So I don't know. I remember Troy walking off from a stage. It was stage five and Troy was pissed. He shot him a, a no shoot 
or no, a Mike, he, he shot over the top of this target. And it was funny because unless you knew what you were looking for, you couldn't tell that the target was, it had a pretty big A zone on it. But as you got farther away from it, it got smaller and smaller and smaller mm -hmm. visually, but it was still the same pretty big A zone from close up. So when you walk up to it, you're like, oh, actually there's a lot of A there to shoot at on the IPSC target. But because it, as you got farther away, it made the target feel smaller, right? It made it seem like it was a much tighter A than it really was. So he shot over the top of it, but he crushed that stage. He shot that stage really, really well. And he walked off and he was pissed. And I was like, dude, I don't want to hear any of your bullshit. Like, you better not complain about this stage. I said, that target was supposed to be a mic. You know, like it was designed to get a mic. So the fact that you crushed everything and you made a mistake on the one that was supposed to give you a mistake, I get it. You know, you're not supposed to be happy about a mic, but you shouldn't be upset because you got a penalty on a target that was literally designed to screw you up. Right. You either got a no shoot or a mic on the damn thing. It was, that's the way it was designed to do to you. So it's just, you know, it's just, you have your perspectives, right? What do you, how, what are you looking at? What are you looking for? Kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know, man. It's uh, it was a great match. Like I said, I'm, I'm glad I went. It's uh, it was the first time I've ever been there. First time I've ever been to Michigan and uh, it was awesome, dude. I, I would definitely, it's on my list for next year. Um, actually I talked to the match director um, and told him how great he did. You know, I thought they did. His staff is amazing. Uh, I thought everybody's super nice. I got to meet people that I've only known from Facebook. So that was kind of cool. Uh, it was a good match, man. Like I said, they did a great job. I hope to, I hope to definitely go there next year and, and give it a run again, but we'll see. You know, how that goes, man. Depends on how the world goes next year. <laughs> November. Um, but yeah yeah right yeah <laughs> no kidding so i don't know right, we'll see see how it goes i don't know uh, uh we'll see i don't know but but well i think we got off the podcast bro i think we're gonna end the podcast we didn't get uh hopefully there's no suspensions after this we'll be good we didn't get we didn't say anything wrong so stay stay positive stay positive people stay positive yeah, yeah perfect that first amendment Anyway. <laughs> there's only a first amendment and you if you're not a, if you're not a member <laughs> it only works Just if you're not a member. you don't get a first amendment yeah dude i don't even care i'm so over the bullshit like i've been i've been keeping my nose out of it i just uh i don't i do care and that's part of the problem though because and i'm just gonna say this one quick thing because i could go on and on when we're protecting our bill of rights and they take away one of the bill of rights and our area directors are military, they've always said this and stuff like that. That's their background. And they take away one of the bill of rights that they went and fucking fought for. That's bullshit. So if you haven't figured it out yet, dude, um, some of the two a people that we shoot with some of the two a people in this country are the biggest hypocrites you'll ever meet in your life. Yep. So anyway, and, and, now we're going to get banned. Well, I didn't say anybody's name, so I, I don't know who yep. they're, I don't know who you're talking about. Cause I ain't talking about anybody specific. I'm talking about <laughs> two way people in general. Yep. Like it, it's in our community. Unfortunately, you have people that are very hypocritical about, they say one thing, but they do something different. Yep. So uh, I will say this and I'll, and I'll end it on this because I don't, I don't have a dog in this fight. It's, it's nothing personal for me. But he, well, but here's where it's personal. 
I, I know people that yes, are having issues, but I will tell you, and here's my issue. I'm really tired. And, and a lot of people don't know my story because I keep it quiet. I have been threatened with a ban since the day I started in this sport. This year, I almost quit shooting last year because of the bullshit. There are people that are here in Florida that are friends with people that are USPSA board of directors and, and people that are in charge. I was threatened to not be that I would be removed from the sport because I don't have friends <laughs> on the USPSA board. And the main reason why I've had an issue is because of my personality, because I refuse to be someone different. I am who I am. I talk a lot. I laugh. I joke. I don't take life too serious. And I just, you know, it, I've been threatened with it over and over and over and over again. So I have a real issue with banning people. I always have. So you have people that want to see people in USPSA fired. I never want to see anybody fired. I've been threatened with that before in my lifetime because someone didn't like my personality, didn't like the way I ran something or did a job or whatever it is. And, and instantly they go, I'll fire the guy who gives a shit about his livelihood. His family is, you know, him trying to pay his bills or just fire the guy. I get it. Sometimes that's the only answer. I'm not saying that's not the answer, but I never want to see somebody lose their livelihood. I never want to see somebody lose their job. And some of the people that are out there screaming, you know, fire the guy or fire that person, that guy might deserve to lose his job. That guy's a dick. I'm not going to say, uh, you know, he's a dick to me. He treats me like shit. He, he, he only knows of me through someone else who happens to be a problem for me in this state. They don't know me personally. I don't know my family. They don't know how much work I put into this sport. They don't know how much I care about other people, not myself. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, we have issues in this sport and I, I never want to see somebody fired, but you know, you, you should not ever, ever, if you're in charge, run things with your personal opinion, <laughs> it's about the business and about the company. It's not about your personal feelings. Yep. That's kind of how I feel, dude. I'm really big about the band thing. I think the band thing's a real issue in this sport. I really do. The, my problem with Yemen was the comment about banning people because of. <laughs> oh, you mean what they're doing now? What they're doing now. A hundred percent, dude. I have an issue with that. I really do because it's personal for me. It's a personal thing. I've, I've experienced that feeling of what it's like to have someone try to remove this from my life because they don't like my personality, not because I've done something wrong not because I've caused problems or tried to start fights or tried to get people banned from the sport or called people cheaters or whatever they come up with. I've kept my mouth shut about it for long enough. And now I'm watching people that are being suspended because they spoke up. Now I will say that I will say there are people in this sport that could go about it a different way, but I I'm new to this sport. So I don't know how much they've, gone about it that different way many times, right? They, I mean, how many times has this conversation been had over and over and over again? But I do see an issue that there's a six-time national champion removed from the sport. Because he's, yeah. 
but I will say, listen, you know, I don't, I don't know the story of why they got removed. I don't care. Right. I don't care. There could be some good reason that they're removing them. I don't know that reason. That's not my, I don't care. Right. But it's the fact that everything goes to lifetime ban or banning someone. Right. Uh, like Raider's a good example. Brandon Raider was suspended for, uh, he, he had a lifetime ban or whatever the hell, a one year ban because he DQ'd. But guess what? He didn't get banned because of the DQ because I've seen people DQ left and right at this sport. I've seen people point guns up range. They might not have pulled the trigger, but what the hell's the difference? They still pointed the gun at somebody. That man was DQ'd because the memes. Because it brought attention to it. Now, I'm not going to say that the way he responded was perfect. It was terrible. He should have shut the up. (laughs) But at the end of the day, he still got banned because of a DQ. I've seen so many people fall and pull the trigger. It just happened to be downrange. What the hell's the difference? He still did the same thing everyone else did. I, I just, there's no consistency. It's just, oh, we need this to go away, ban them. That's not an answer. That's not the answer. I mean, you, you just should not be able to just ban people from a hobby that we spend thousands of dollars on and thousands of hours of commitment. There's got to be some kind of ground rules for this. And it just feels like there's no ground rules. Like, uh, see, this is a very sensitive subject for me, dude. I try not to talk about this because I get really fired up. Uh, Again, it's not, it's personal for me, right? It's not about the people. I don't care about the people that are, I I do care that people are being suspended. I don't want to say I don't care, but I don't have like a, a relationship with any of them. I have a relationship with one of them one of them. I know them. They shoot at my local club. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to, I'm going to say it out loud right now. One of the men who was suspended because of the memes and because of him going after the leadership of USPSA is suspended from the, and banned from the same exact club that I've had a problem at. They did the same exact thing to him that they did to me textbook a way of eliminating someone they don't like and is it is he suspended from that club and uspsa or just both it started with the club it started with the club and then it went to now but this is different like so it's a separate issue right they don't like him they wanted rid of him because he questions things he questions rules if he he's he knows the rules right he, he knows the rules so well that I tell him to shut the up, <laughs> yeah. right? Like it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? That's how well he knows the rules to the point where it's like, no one cares, dude. Like just shut up and enjoy the damn game, right? Kind of thing. But he knows the rules. He knows the rules. And when you question somebody who thinks they know more and has a power trip, who thinks they are, or they need to be in charge and micromanage shit, that's when you have problems with that type of person. I don't care about being in charge. I, I don't. I don't want to be in charge. But somehow I tend to lead many times. And that becomes an issue. When you get a following, when people start to ask you instead of that person, there's an issue for some reason. Yep. And so 
it's just the way it is, man, in the sport, unfortunately. I think this is where, this is what I was talking about many times. I've gone on Banging Brass and I've talked to Brian about this, you know, on some of the live podcasts. This is what's making our sport toxic. You have toxic leadership in positions that overstep their boundaries, right? People overstep their boundaries, period. That's all there is to it. Like in this scenario, and I will say some of the meme guys, they overstep their boundaries, bro. I think this shit, when stuff starts getting personal, we don't know. I wasn't there. I'm not there. I don't know personal life. I don't know what somebody else did, what they didn't do. People lie all the time in this world. They do. People lie all the time, dude. When somebody says that person has a charge against them or whatever, I don't know who they're even talking about, but how do we know? I wasn't there. Yeah. So I don't talk about people like that. I don't care. It's not my business. It doesn't affect my life. Right. What affects my life is when someone starts banning people because they spoke up. Yeah. Right. That's kind of what America is about. The first and second amendments. Think about the president position. It's worthless now, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's not a very good position anymore. They have no control. They have no power. They have a voice, but what does that do? It's just like, it would be no different than me and you talking. Oh yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> you know, like, cool, I can hear you. So, I don't know, just interesting. I just feel like USPSA has ran from one fire to another in the past i don't know 12 to 4 12 to maybe 16 months and it's not our leadership can't get out of their own way and it's it's a hard it's hard dude i i can't it's a hard thing man i don't know i don't know what the answer is either because i don't know enough about the internal workings of uspsa in general and i think that's part of the problem like guys like you know, I, I guys like Stoger, they know a lot more than I do about the internal workings of the sport. I, I haven't been around long enough. Like there's stuff that they, some of the guys were mentioning on some of the podcasts and I'm like, I didn't even know that was, that even happened or that guy was in charge or, you know, I mean, I just, I don't know enough about the sport to make opinions about whether they're doing a good job or bad job. Now, I mean, obviously I, I'm smart enough to tell that some of this stuff is a little crazy. And like some of the emails that are coming out and stuff that you can read about, it's not secret. Like it's all pretty much on paper. Right. I mean, a lot of this now, the personal stuff, I just, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about it. I I didn't read any of those. I don't care. It's just, I just, I I don't have a personal vendetta against anybody, even if they hate my guts. And I, I understand what you're saying. I just, the people in house right now are part of the problem. And we might trade it for a new set of problems. I don't know, yeah. but it can't get, well, I shouldn't say that, Yeah. but I don't know. So like, uh, so I'll finish with this because we got, a, I talked about Yee Man a little bit on that, on the last one. I still don't know if I finished it. because. <laughs> so the guy who says, you know, brings it up. I'm okay. Having the conversation. I think that's part of the problem is he didn't finish the conversation. He just said it out loud and didn't really like, never really talked about it enough and said, look, this is the problem. We're having this issue in our sport, right? We, there is a lot of negative online about our sport. That doesn't look good, right? It doesn't look good, but there's also a lot of negative online from the people that are on the board of directors as well, but nobody brings that up. Like, like guys, in other words, that wasn't, that's not what people thought immediately. They just thought, oh, the meme makers, 
But you also got to look, there's people that are board of directors that are on their shit talking to other people, running their mouth, you know, making comments to people online and, and you know, these things. So th those are all people that, now, what is the line though? Right. What's the line? So if I came on to your pod, if I came on to my podcast right now and I said, dude, I hate this brand of gun, plastic, fantastic, canics the best. Did I just shit on a sponsor? Like, did we just now, did Tom get banned because he didn't like a gun? Where's the line? Seriously, where's the line? Because Somebody, now I might have upset a sponsor. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the truth because nobody really knows. We all suspect that why Ben got, I mean, I don't right. know if Ben's ever been even given the reason or any of these other guys other than 4.13. And that is such a gray area that we could, under 4.13, this conversation we're having right now, we could get banned. I don't know, man. I just, like I said, I don't, I don't, I haven't talked about it. I really don't like talking about it because I just want to be a shooter. I want to shoot, but I do care about the sport and I care about other shooters in this sport, right? Yeah, I yeah. care about other shooters in this sport. I care that people are being suspended because they're making, they're having questions. I don't like the way they all go about it. There's some stuff that I'm just like, man, if you just were just a hair tactful, a little bit more tactful. This coming from a guy who doesn't have tactful very often, right? But this is why I shut up. This is why I don't talk about it. Because if I get, if I get into that conversation, I'm going to get heated about it. Like you start talking about suspensions and I re it takes me to another level of upsetness. Like I, I get pissed off, like really pissed off, like area five pissed off, <laughs> you know, like that pissed. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, cause it's personal. It's oh, something yeah. that I went through in this sport. I mean, the fact that I almost walked away last year should tell you everything you need to know that the first three years of my shooting, these motherfuckers were coming after me. Mm -hmm. Three years of someone trying to remove me because they don't like my personality. There's something very wrong with that. I don't disagree. So now I will say just to clear it up, this was not to USPSA. It never got there because I wouldn't allow it because I didn't give them a reason because I wouldn't talk about it. I didn't go after them. I didn't try to push the issue. I just walked away and let it go. And they still kept trying to get me. Yeah. I left the range like they told me to never came back to the range, went and got my own club, started working on my own stuff. And they still were me at my own place. That'll tell you the level of shitheads that we have in this sport. And if you ever found out who that person was, you'd be amazed if you talk to them in their face and how fake their asses are. Oh yeah. Unfortunately, I deal with that a little bit here in South Carolina too. So I usually don't let this stuff out, dude. I, I probably shouldn't even post this. <laughs> you can edit this part out so we don't get banned. There's nothing we've done to be banned here, bro. I'm telling you, we didn't oh, talk I about know. anybody I'm personal, but I'm just telling I'm you, I just, I usually don't talk about this, but I just, I'm kind of, I'm just kind of tired. You know, I just, I'm kind of tired of it this year. Like this year, I haven't had to deal with it. It's been great. Everything's been good, but I just feel like now that they got, these guys have been banned. I was like, you know what? I got a platform. Like, People need to understand that there's more to it than just these guys making memes. There's a lot more to this stuff that is in this sport. 
it's unfortunate because it, it happens a lot, I think, to people. And, and it, I think a lot of people just walk away, right? They walk away sure. from their passion. They walk away from this sport with a nasty taste in their mouth. How many people, I, I don't know how many people I've read. I'm not renewing my membership. I'm not renewing my membership. So I, I want to bring this up real quick about it as well. Don't allow them to Great keep boy. you from shooting your sport. This is our sport, the shooters. It's our sport without us. There is no board of directors. There is no president. There is no uh, marketing. There's nothing. Yeah. We are the sport. Don't quit and lose your passion or your hobby for this sport because of the way they're acting. Yep. That's it. That's it. I mean, that's, that's dude. I'm not, I'll never, <laughs> never let them take me out and, and walk away, dude. I, I'll never walk away because of them. I'll walk away because of me. Never, never going to let that happen, bro. That that just gives them a victory that they did not deserve. <laughs> yeah. There's only one guy right now that's running for president that hasn't actually signed anything and suspended anybody. <laughs> He's the only one. There's only one. So remember that when you go to vote. Yep. Also, I don't have one with me, but I would love to hold up my campaign button of a tape measure to tell you who not to vote for. Remember, a guy got DQ'd from the sport for six inches. Some women would love six inches. I'm just saying. I was gonna that, <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll end the podcast on that, Todd. <laughs> if you guys have any questions, hit me up in those comments and I'll see you on the range. <laughs>